You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take a look at the connection between the kaiju genre and the horror genre with a special interview. It's 1953's The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. James Bond. Hello, hello, hello once again, everybody. It is another spooktacular episode of the Bondzilla podcast. I am Nick. I'm well. And, uh, you know, we're, we are in the midst of what, what we call the spooky season, Halloween time. Wait, wait was, that, did, was that a misspeak or was that a clever wordplay? We're in the midst of spooky Halloween season. It was a slight, you know, I missed the D. <laughs> But we are, you know, it's a spooky time, spooky year, you know, scary. Wow, that's like, that, that's a, this is supposed to be the fun Halloween episode. We're going to talk about horror movies and everything. And you had to oh, be, yeah, but- you had to, you had to play the card of like, yeah, it is scary. A scary year. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, well, you know, but we're, we are, we are the light. Mm-hmm. In this, at the end we, of the tunnel, <laughs> is that what we? Is that what we are? <laughs> we are, like you know, we are the relic that traps Freddy at mm-hmm. the end of the movie. I don't know what. What I are mean, you I, saying? I've, I've, I've seen what are enough. You saying? Of, I don't know. You've I seen start, enough. You know, what? It hasn't. It's not enough Elm Street movies because I, I don't think that's a thing that happens in Elm Street movies. <laughs> Yeah, we're the wooden stake that pierces Dracula. That's what right. We are. Okay, that was better. What movie? Yeah. What what Elm Street movie were you thinking of? I'm not thinking of any because you know what you do sound like. You sound like in like the sitcom when like the girlfriend pretends that she's seen the films, and she just the boyfriend. Makes this... but, hey, the boyfriend could pretend to see the film. That's well, true. Come on, that's true. But um, come on, yeah. But you know, I like to you know, you know, I'm a I'm a man of old fashioned tradition. And, and girls don't watch scary movies. Listen, they get scared so easily. I've seen Nightmare One, yeah, three, mm-hmm. and the remake, mm-hmm. and Freddy versus Jason. None of those movies have a relic. They do not. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean. It like it sounds like, them, right, like, like the 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 significant other taking like a huge swing at what happens because it does sound like. Something. I mean, to be fair, you do have to take pause to make sure. Like, wait, there wasn't a relic in any of those movies. There's been enough movies. of those movies where you kind of think, "Oh, you know what? I actually I watched New Nightmare with you. That's I did that yeah. as well." Yeah. Um, I'm told that's the good one. Oh no, it's fine. It's good. Um, it's unique. Yeah. It's got a. It's, it's got a thing going for it. <laughs> I mean, it was you know it was meta in an era where like you know meta yeah. was just becoming the hip hop thing to do. I forgot. Oh man, I can't remember if this was in regards to a movie or not. But I remember, like, my reaction to it was like, "All right, it's it's you know, it's got a thing going for it. <laughs> you know, it's doing its. <laughs> you ever see a movie and you're like, it's doing its thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, plenty of plenty. Trust me, we've we've seen plenty of movies. What that what would be a movie its... that you would kind of call that? Like that your your reaction was, okay, yeah, this movie's doing its thing. <laughs> 
I'm gonna look up the movies that I've been that I've seen recently. I feel like it's. I mean, I've definitely had that reaction to a movie. I can tell you that much. Um, I mean, I have. I I would have some very weirdly specific ones. I think. Yeah, I can't. You know? I, I'm looking at my list. I, I can't see one that I was just like that, like, l- like uh, checked out of. But it was like, oh, I guess like sometimes, like you know what? I'll be honest. And this actually relates because it's the Halloween season. It's like there's a, like horror movies. There's a lot, and horror movies will do that a lot. Yeah. I think, I, you know, that type of reaction back in the <laughs> heyday of us in college when, like, you know, we were we were over in our our friend of the podcast, Patrick, right. Uh, and and just like he would just have on like the most shit Ooh, horror movies. N- nice plant, by the yes. way. Nice plant. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you go through a lot of horror movies. Well, that's the like the thing about the great thing about being a horror fan. And maybe yeah. And uh, well, we'll 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 get to it in a minute. But like one of the great things about being a horror fan is like you, just the realization about how much crap that you that you watch. Yeah. And then there's a lot of movies where it's just like this movie's doing its thing. Mm-hmm. Like it, it like it's hitting all the beats. Like that's fine. I've been watching like a lot of like you know getting like into the um, not getting into but like some horror films and like it recently it's been the Halloween movies. Yes. And then you're like, it's 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 doing its thing. It it it's um it is what it is. It 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 is interesting. But yeah, because I I rewatched the newest one that came out last like last year or two years ago. The one with the one with the podcasters in it. Yes. Yeah. See, it's all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. And um, yeah. Have you, you've seen how many, how, well, okay. You've seen the original, obviously. I've, I've seen, I've seen the first three. That's it. Mm-hmm. No. And I've seen H2O. Right. Right. Cause then you watch that. Like, wh- did you watch that with us or you've just seen, I've seen it with you. Yeah. H2O. I, any, any of those movies I've seen with you. Mm-hmm. Like I, there are very few horror movies that I've sought out on my own. Most of the time, because uh, I'm also I'm in the throes of trying to introduce someone else to, to horror, horror movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, and it's kind of like basically all the stuff that I've ever watched in the horror genre, I've like watched it through Patrick or you. Like mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Like any, that's my been in my introduction to to the genre. Yeah, because um, I used to be I used to be very anti horror movie. Yeah, see that that like... that's the interesting thing about you because I feel like I was a horror movie fan, but I don't think I became like I would consider myself now like a, a like a real horror movie fan, like really liking the genre, like as opposed to you like some horror movies versus now I'm like very uh, fond of the genre more so than I've ever been, and that's due to you yeah. know uh, friends in college and everything. You on the other hand were not a horror fan. I was I was a scaredy cat. Yeah. You I was, well, I, was, I mean, you know, you thought that there was a relic in an Elm Street movie, so yeah. you're you are that I mean, guy. You are yeah. that person. I mean, I my my gate I had my gateways into it, like the things that you guys forced me to watch and stuff. Yeah, the paranormal activities was one. Well, that that was the one I avoided. Actually, my my two gateways into the genre were Sinister's the one with uh Patrick Warburton, or is uh, that no? <laughs> Everything's so sinister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Or no, wait. What is he? What, what, what is he? And I got a thing. Is point. Peter. <laughs> wait. <laughs> That's how I have to get. No, no, no. Patrick Wilson is the yeah, one I'm thinking. Yeah, but of. I'm just yeah. thinking Warburton now. It's like it's yeah. so scary. <laughs> I would like Why to see Patrick. Why is this house Warburton. so haunted? <laughs> Patrick Warburton in a horror movie would be fun. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, it's Patrick Wilson, and that's um, Insidious. Is Insidious the, is, is the, the one. one. That yeah. was the first one that a lot of people made me watch. And then in college, and then I kind of got to The Exorcist, and then I kind of went from there. Yeah. And now I, I do have a horror film in my top 30 movies ever. Thing, right? No, it's Alien. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, well, the reason I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, it, it kind of went hand in hand um, with um, Halloween, this kind of topic that um, really I never thought that we would really talk about. But uh, I actually, so the big inspiration for it was uh, our much-loved and dedicated listener, Cool Dude, I believe, um, where... Uh, he had asked something, or they had asked something to the um, to the vein of, uh, you know, what kaiju movies would you consider horror films? Um, and uh, w- one of the things I was thinking of, it was it was definitely a hard thing to answer. Like I I felt uh, because uh, we we often talk about like. Uh, how to meld like you know the kaiju subgenre into other greater genres and i think uh what brought that up really was our our previous episode colossal in which you know we kind of put the uh, kaiju subgenre into kind of like an indie you know uh dark comedy or dark dramedy let's say um and you know and that's how you you square that and then of course you can do the comedy you know there there's plenty of like either even small examples of that uh, but the horror one was an interesting conversation because there there weren't too many that in this realm of the Godzilla kaiju franchise that I could point to and be like, that one is the horror movie. And there are some uh, good examples that we can talk about that kind of get close. But it did start making me really think about where does the kaiju subgenre land in like horror films, like really. Yeah. It is interesting too because I think in general the the concept of the giant monster is sort of already kind of an offshoot of the horror genre that it doesn't really have all the tropes of the horror genre but the general idea of the monster attacking people definitely shares itself with the classic horror films. I mean if you look, you know, for I think for a long time that people would consider, you know, obviously we have like stuff like, you know, Wolfman and uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon, and even like you can insert like you know Dracula and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. That. But Universal but Monsters, also, like, the Universal Monsters. But you can also put like you know the original like where would you put the original like King Kong? Because originally people would classify that because it's just a giant monster and like it's eating people and stuff. You know, people could kind of classify that as a horror movie. And now we've moved the the what a horror movie is, and and we kind of look at that stuff I think differently you know, or, or like the evolution of the genre, but the, but the giant monster film, there is like a relationship it has intrinsically with the horror genre Mm -hmm. in some regard. It's just another kind of one of those offshoot evolutions of the genre that has moved so far away from its origins 
that, you know, it's kind of, again, hard to classify it where we kind of come back and it's like, well, how do we put like horror into the kaiju genre? Well, it's definitely the the easiest offshoot. I think you had mentioned it is that they're essentially all monster movies um, and that um, they um, and so that is that is kind of the connection right there. And one of the other big things is that um, one of the biggest things I always think about with horror is that it is um, horror many of the times, especially a lot of classic horror, is very craft-based, I, I always find. It's, it's one of the reasons that I gravitate to it quite a bit. And mm-hmm. in a similar way for the reason I like kaiju films is that, you know, there's definitely, you know, story and character, you know, if, especially if you do it well. But for the most part, I feel like a lot of horror films and classic horror films' legacy is in the style and craft of how it's directed and also these more visceral thematic um, um, allegories that come and metaphors that come out of these, you know, out of these films. Um, and that are, those are probably the two things that connect both this subgenre of kaiju filmmaking and then just horror filmmaking um, yes. in general, the craft thing. And then, I mean, it, it, it's, it's no surprise that when you look at like a lot of, I mean, it kind of also goes into blockbuster filmmaking, but you know how we have, um, you know, people who have done horror films step in to make, you know, these monster films like with uh, Doherty with King of the Monsters and Adam Wingard coming into Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, these are horror guys and, you know, they are, you know, coming in to, uh, you know, to fill in those shoes. Well, you can even you can even go back to Pacific Rim and Guillermo del Toro, who has a yes, history yeah, with absolutely. the horror genre mm-hmm. in and of itself, and like he also has that passion for for kaiju and giant monster and giant robot movies. And, and it, it, uh, that was another thing I was going to mention is that there is seemingly this kind of intrinsic connection between these these horror directors and their desire and ability to make you know, and also not just their desire to make it, but the studios and, and legendary themselves kind of wanting people to, wanting those people to come in and make the movies mm-hmm. uh, in, and of, in and of themselves. But yeah, no, it, it, there's definitely, you're right, the craft and the um, uh, the special effects nature of the films as well mm-hmm. uh, definitely kind of connects the two, the two sides of the genre as, uh, the two genres in and of itself as well. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. And one of the other things um, I was thinking of too, which I ju- I just forgot. I, I really I, this was an idea I liked, it and I and I'm completely uh, whiffing um, whiffing on it. Give me a second. What was what was I gonna say? Shit. Huh. Can't remember. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would say that I also think, though, that that as a part of this discussion in terms of the, how the kaiju genre fits within the horror genre, really, you have to talk about the evolution of the oh, horror genre. Oh, you know what? You, yeah, you, you, you kind of are you, you, you jostled my brain open a little bit, and so now I kind of remember, and I think this kind of can fit into what you're saying too about you know the evolution and the roots of like horror. The, you know, the initial kind of Ashiro Honda. Um, a vision for you know kaiju films and the Godzilla films is not too dissimilar from the Universal monsters and how they do. You know, Ashira Honda definitely had this b- 
big like you know part of being like a kaiju is like the tragedy of being a kaiju both for the people who are on the receiving end of their wrath but then also the creatures themselves like you, you know he's always said that you know part of the plight of the kaiju is like they're burdened with like the weight of their own size and destructiveness and you know so there's always and and you see that in a lot of the films too you see that with like how like how somber the killing of like Godzilla or Rodan are how sympathetic you should be towards Mothra and things like that and that's not too dissimilar from let's say the universal monsters here um uh, where you know a lot of the uh, story of the monsters is wrapped in a veil of you know tragedy and sympathy mm-hmm. to varying uh, degrees, and, and yeah. so so that's also kind of another connecting point between uh, at least the root. Because I think what 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 I would get to initially is that you're right that the kaiju films have that tangential um, ancestral connection almost by being like monster films and. You know, in in that way, they kind of tangentially fit into the horror genre. But at the same time, I would have a hard time, especially with what the kaiju films have become, I would have a hard time saying that I would fit them in the horror genre, personally. Well, I think, yeah, I think what I was kind of, I agree with you 100% on on that point, but I also think that it's important because I think both genres kind of went into their own directions, Um you know, as those series evolved, like we look at the history of the the Toho film specifically, it's like they go from that very visceral first Godzilla movie into these big crazy monster fights, and again, like you know, stuff like Ghidorah and King Kong, where things get crazy and silly mm-hmm. and big and fun. You're right, and and the same thing with the the horror genre. You know, you kind of have the classic Universal monsters and and those films of the 30s, 40s, and even into the 50s really shift as we kind of get into the 60s and especially the 70s when we get like you know 70s we get the visceral horrors of the exorcist and the shining you get into the 80s when the slasher genre comes like the prominence in terms of what we know the slasher genre is and i think that a lot of stuff is like now again the tangential relationship between those two of just the gap has widened because now you kind of look it's like okay well you kind of think of horror people think of horror as these slashers movies or these you know these kind of like the jump scare movies or the killer movies and it's like okay well we gotta can we put that into the kaiju filmmaking yeah and on the other side of it you know when you when you have a new monster movie now it's like okay how do you fit like the monster you know movie and it fit that into the horror genre where a lot of the horror genre now is about its intimacy with its audience. It's about mm-hmm. the smaller moments and, and the lead up to those kills and the lead up to those scares. And that, that kind of that anticipation is a big part of it. Whereas a part of having a giant monster or even a monster in general is that it is kind of out there and lumbering, you know, when you think of the classic, you know, whether it be King Kong or Frankenstein, you know, um, you kind of have that sort of mix. And so now it's kind of like these two genres that have, a sort of intrinsic original connection now have so widened the gap because they have evolved into their own things. Yeah, I it, it, I think you're absolutely right on the intimacy thing because you know it, it's one of the things I always say about like really good horror and you know and I kind of stem this from why you know I'm I'm always uh, very open on the on the. Um, conversation about like you know practical versus like digital effects but one of the things i kind of sympathize with in horror 
is that, you know, um, horror needs to really feel, um, y- you know, there needs to be tangibility to horror and there's an intimacy to horror that makes a lot of the horror that we know uh, really work. Um, yeah. And it's very difficult, uh, not only with the special effects nature, but you're right, just with the scope of stories with, with, with kaiju uh, films. And we've, we've seen kaiju films dabble in, in the horror um, we, we've seen a couple yeah. examples of it for sure. I think uh, just off the top of my head, we, like I think Hedora definitely has mm-hmm. some horror elements to it. I think we've seen that's actually that. a good example because Hedora is an example where the monster is still kind of basically a kaiju the whole time, and it and it no pun intended oozes horror out of it. But it's interesting when you think of all the horror, the the kaiju films that we've watched. What are like the moments that are like the most horror moments? It's when they're able to like get a smaller creature in there. Well, I mean, you can even look at Hedora as a whole movie. Is that what makes Hedora kind of fit into the horror genre originally? Is that when we first see Hedora in those first couple scenes, he is a smaller, mm-hmm. and so he's just kind of going through the streets. Once we get to the end of that movie, and it's again Hedora is like the huge thing, and they have to get the military and the electricity and all that, all that nonsense. Like then it becomes solely something different. Uh, and I, I feel like it's the same way. Like uh, another one I, I've used an example of before is um, Megagirus. We have that kind of mm-hmm. one sequence in Megagirus where we have the smaller Meganula and, and that kind of horror sequence. That's a, and it's really set up like a classic sort of Friday the 13th Halloween-esque horror sequence in that movie. And then, of course, by the end of the movie, the Megagirus is huge and it's a big battle with Godzilla. So again, you kind of lose that intimacy when it's a big monster destroying a city. Yeah. Um, and then I'm sorry, did you mention Destroya too? Like Destroya was another one. Yes. Destroya with, with mm-hmm. the Jurassic Park type of segment. Yeah. Well, with their alien segment, really, with their like, alien, yeah. really. Yeah. They, yeah. they really kinda, just rip like, off alien. It's kind of like, it's like the Raptor yeah. scenes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and Gamera also has this too. Um, with mm-hmm. it. Well, Gamera actually kind of finds a really good, um, mi- uh, like a middle ground because with the Gauss, especially the segments at the beginning where it's just like, you know these creatures coming in and and picking picking them up, um, yeah. like and you know like as if they're like you know hawks uh, searching for rabbits and things like that. And uh, and and then uh, the second Gamera too um, also has some elements like that as well. But it it is it is difficult because beyond that, I mean, one of the things that when Cool Dude mentioned this about which movies are you know which kaiju movies can be considered horror films. And I was like, it's interesting because I think that in the earlier stages, um, you could maybe consider them. And I'm talking about like back, in, which kind of is the inspiration for our movie today. Uh, like back when you go into like, you know, the 50s and like that era of, of film, right. you could well, probably, so we... those movies were kind of billed as like, you know, scary monster films. And then as time goes on and we see how like these monster films have kind of manifested, they are more, I would consider, action or sci-fi films. And Aliens, uh, not the movie Aliens, but al- the alien kind of movie, like m- like Martians and Alien Invaders, kind of fits that same thing. Like, you know, go all the way back into the 50s and you get, like, alien invasion-type movies. It's kind of billed as, like, oh, like, the invaders from outer space and, you know, double build with some other creature feature. But now it's, like, as time goes on, um, uh, unless you have something like an alien, um, you know, people don't normally think of like alien invasion movies in the same vein as horror. And it, and and 
quite frankly, that being said, Alien, like uh, the subgenre of Alien Invasions, bridges that gap, I think, better. There's more examples of them bridging that gap into the horror field more so than the, the kaiju stuff. I mean, just to go back to, like, uh, in episodes you've talked about, like, we go back to the 50s and you talk about the original, like, Rodan, and and especially the first half of that movie, mm-hmm. is you definitely get that vibes of, again, the blob or or what we're watching today, like, this kind of classic kind of, like, horrifying, like, creature stuff. Mm-hmm. I think, like, once you, like, and even, you know, Godzilla kind of has, the original Gojira kind of has some of those elements as well, you know, just a very unique way with its bigger scale. But I think, like, even with the history of Toho, like, those first two, I think, are very distinctively, you know, um, kind of really more fit into the classic, like, 50s version of that monster horror genre. Whereas even as soon as you get to the original Mothra in the 60s and there's the more fantastical elements and and kind of the more – there's still more whimsical nature, even though they treat Mothra like a serious thing. There's still a more whimsical nature to just Mothra as a character in general. And then from there – going to King Kong versus Godzilla, I think the genre just kind of goes on its own path from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, all right. Well, uh, with that with that said, um, uh, I want to bring in a pod of the Friendcast to, yes. uh, you know, kind of talk about this subject because one of the things, as I have just uh, revealed, is that I have a hard time uh, putting the kaiju film into the horror genre and i know that our guest today um thinks a little bit differently uh, and um it, it's going to be exciting uh to talk to him i will we will introduce him shortly uh he is a good friend of ours spoiler alert you know not to play nepotism mentioned or already on this on this specific Me- episode mentioned many many times if, if you in especially on this episode as you say uh leading into it and also um, a uh, a writer and director of his own right that will be uh, plugging of his own horror movies. Yeah, of yes. his own horror movies, and uh, he will be. Uh, we will kind of uh, talk about that uh, a little bit as well to show some of his cred. But um, so uh, let's introduce our guest. All right, so uh, I am here and excited to welcome. Our guest of this, I guess you could call Halloween special podcast. Um, uh, he is a writer, director, uh, friend of the podcast. Or most, as that's I, most important. Yeah. I'm also here, by the way, not just Will. I am also here uh, for, for this interview. Um, and um, also listener of, of some episodes. Um, Occasionally, uh, I will also say twenty-five percent. <laughs> a uh, also a uh, a uh, part uh, partakes in the uh, kaiju uh, world uh, as well. Uh, but most importantly, as uh, you know, not to bury the lead, but a personal good friend of uh, ours, uh, and uh, that is none other than uh, Patrick R. Young. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on on yeah, the show. We've, we've been wanting to do this for a while, and I think this is a, a great subject matter to to discuss with you. So I'm excited to to dig in, uh, especially with someone that has uh, horror directing experience. 
and hope to have more. Yeah. yeah. Speaking speaking of which, because I, I I do have to I do have to bring this up. Nick, by the way, pretty good segue there. I mean, I don't know Patrick how much you know about our running gags, but our you know our um we have a scattershot history with segues. Sometimes we get them right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes we don't. Well, uh, it's just more so that Will will cut me off on the segue. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not done with the joke. See, this is a point. self-fulfilling prophecy. It's already, like, the segue is already being it's, ruined. It's your guys of, it's, it's your way of letting people know you are real. You know, yeah. this is scripted, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, earlier on, uh, we were talking about um, how Nick reminded me that we had this, like, rule when we first started that we're not going to um, uh, explain any inside jokes. <laughs> and i forgot about that rule and then we ended up explaining the inside joke uh more th- than like we we, ex- we we ended up explaining that we don't that we have a rule that we don't explain inside jokes and we never explain the inside <laughs> joke so um anyway but uh yes um patrick you are yes like i said writer director and uh, that yes. can be seen in your most recent endeavor uh, you have uh, a little film in the online horror community and indie uh, circuit, um, and I and I will just say one that um, I was also involved in. Um, but uh, yeah, you... it's good to get that, like you know, like this the uh, disclaimer. Will did work on that movie <laughs> as well. Uh, but you are uh, one one of the and correct me if I'm wrong. This is how you would put it, like one of the writers and directors of a, a little film called Threshold that is uh, hitting yes. uh, the uh, yes. like I said the uh, online uh, horror community right now. Yeah, and... I uh, quote unquote wrote uh, a, a small film that I co-directed with a friend, our friend Pal. Uh, it's called Threshold. It's a cursy road trip improvised movie that was shot on two iPhones uh, that had the honor of playing at like Salem Horror Fest and uh, a couple of mobile film festivals and press play film festivals. It's won a couple of awards. And, yeah, come uh, on, get out those accolades. Like you know, let's be proud of it. <laughs> let's be proud of the work. <laughs> well, most recently at a press play, it won best sound, <laughs> which I can tell well, you guys. I, I mean, uh, it is. Um, I mean, that's a big. You know, that's a big deal. Like you know, given given this movie, like that that you know, you you we worked on because it was very bare bones i believe uh one of the leads uh, of the film called it the little movie that could and and i thought that that was <laughs> yes, the best it way was, of putting uh, it very limited uh, five of us on a road trip you know there there were times where i was holding a camera in one hand and a boom mic in the other so mm-hmm. if anyone says you can hear the sound fine <laughs> i'm happy <laughs> well when we were working on it my capacity of it was um editing i, I edited the film and uh, you did an amazing job thank you thank you sir and um it but it was one of those things where you know you do your best in the in the editing process with sound uh, a little behind the scenes mm-hmm. on that but you know, it always goes to a proper sound person. And it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, man, like, how is this going to get pulled off? <laughs> and uh, looking at the final product, it was just uh, it was just really, re- um, really good. Um, we spent and- a, about a year of the a year yeah. watching the movie with your. Like fake ADR in there. <laughs> <laughs> lines that a, an actress uh, needs yeah to that that's the one thing will's voice 
like, oh, we should stop here, but it's your voice. Yeah, that's the one thing about when you're working with a bare bones, uh, like, and on, like, you know, a timeline is, like, when you have to do temp ADR, like, you get some really silly sounding things. We never asked you to do that, though. That was, that was, that was you. I'm good at my job. You making that suggestion. Well, I'm, I'm good, quote unquote, I'm good at my job. <laughs> I do my job, whether I'm good at it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, that's awesome. So congratulations on, on all that. And, um, and what, and what, was there a, um, just so you know, by the time this comes out, so th- this is, it's going to be the hollow week that this comes out. So this comes out on the, uh, the 28th of um of october so um pretty soon is there the week yeah yeah, the week following this uh episode we'll be playing at soho film festival which is a will be our uk premiere uh i have to talk to them i don't know if it's geo-locked but if you have any uh uk listeners yeah uh virtually you can check out threshold uh, via the Soho Film Festival. Well, that's a good time to plug our sponsors. VPN. <laughs> get, get it. <laughs> Whatever like, those VPN uh, ads are, but that's awesome. Well, Anything but NordVPN. Fuck NordVPN. Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah. You're getting political. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were apologizing for the cursing. <laughs> that's another staple of this podcast is like the occasional political slip. <laughs> it, comes out, it comes out every now and then. Um, yeah. but uh, uh, Surfshark VPN is that one? That's one. Yeah, the, it's a sponsor of the that you know will that that wrestling channel I watch a lot. Yeah, uh, they sponsor. That and another channel. staple is Nick always plugging wrestling podcasts. <laughs> it's, you're no, getting, it's a wrestling YouTube channel. YouTube fair, channel. Yeah, you're getting Patrick. You're getting the the greatest hits of Bonzilla as we yeah. speak. And then you know, so yeah. you know, well, the other one is if like. Do you have any VPN questions? Uh, <laughs> look up VPNtierlist.com and find Tom Sparks uh, ratings and reviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, this is. I mean, this is this is good content. Yeah. Everybody. No. This is. They, what, what are the other <laughs> ones? The other ones, Nick, are like uh, smash the like button. We have a Patreon, but we don't have a Patreon. Cool dude is our best fan, but fuck him. Like it's like it's like it's it's all the the greatest hits on on I mean, the thing. I mean, let, let's just get out of the way. Like Patrick, what are your thoughts on Harrison Ford? <laughs> uh, it's a shame he hasn't been in a kaiju movie. Yeah, I mean, I think we had talked about that he he fits right in. I mean, if John Goodman can be in Kong Skull Island, like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like th- that's kind of like the same, like, I don't know. I, I think so. Yeah. Has he, ever, has he been in a movie with a monster at all? Um... Uh, Force I mean, Awakens. Outside... There's a squid thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the closest we've ever really got. Definitely been in a movie with a monster. Definitely, yeah. we're just kind of like on the you know the edge of our seats and by the fly of our pants or whatever the yeah. phrase is. Um, I do, I do kind of want to move on to onto this thing because I it, it is a very obligatory question. I know Patrick is probably really sick of answering, but I, I do think it will segue into you know the further conversation. Patrick, I consider Patrick to be. I've all like I mentioned before. I've always liked horror films, but it, I it was one of those things where horror has never been a genre that I hated too heavily until uh, Patrick and I uh, met, and now I consider it to be you know a genre that I'm 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 very very fond of. Um, and and um, 
and haven't actually engaged in a lot in my own personal career as well. I never thought it would be that way. It's just looking at my pre my work recently. It's like, oh, it's like I actually work in horror quite a bit, and, and I love it. But I attribute mm-hmm. that to to you, Patrick, um, as being maybe my number one horror friend. So I, I can say that I can say as well. I mean, I was anti horror before I met Patrick. Like, I was someone who avoided horror. I think I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I, I basically avoided the genre altogether. And then kind of being in the realm of Patrick's world uh, and hanging out in his apartment a lot in college just got me into uh, the genre enough where now I have a horror film in my top 30 of movies ever. Well, you, you had no choice. If you sat on my couch long enough, you were going to be forced to watch a horror movie. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you did introduce me to the greatest horror movie of all time. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. So <laughs> that I have to thank you for. Um, so I do want to, if you could just briefly touch upon like what your history of horror uh, is. Again, I understand obligatory, like, you know, you've been asked this question many times, but so you can give me the abridged version of it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, my, I mean, my entire love for movies and franchises, uh, besides maybe Star Wars, was completely developed through horror franchises. Uh, my mom, horror films, and so some of the earliest memories I have of renting movies and everything were her taking me uh, to rent Amityville Horror, The Omen, Alien, Poltergeist, uh, and then me subsequently wanting to rent Amityville 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, Poltergeist 2, 3, and just inundating myself with that. But then what really made it stick, because, I mean, back in my youth, I was more of a reader than a watcher, uh, is in fourth grade, uh, I was uh, hanging around my grandparents' house, and my grandmother came out of the back room in a huff. She put this book down on the table, and she's like, nope, it's too scary, I'm done. I was like, I can't do this. And I was like, what, what, like, what, why? Uh, but, you know, like a fourth grader would. Um, and she's like, there's some moving bushes and that's just too scary for me and I can't handle it. And I was like, that doesn't sound very scary. I want to read this book. And it was uh, Stephen King's The Shining. Oh, okay. And yeah, and from that kind of point on, I just, it, it's been all Stephen King and all horror and, that was the thing. I haven't been able to deny it. Yeah. That that was the thing, and then here we are. You're uh you're just uh, scraping together movies and uh, doing doing the Lord's work with them. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then uh and and then it's also funny knowing you too is like, you know we we, we definitely you know we each have our uh, like you know our individual kind of like favorites and preferences, but we we also have a very uh, a unique ability that I know you and I share, and, and Nick to a certain degree too. Like, you know, we're, we're very open to weird juxtapositions in movies and very odd choices in horror movies and, you know, movies going crazy, movies getting silly. And uh, you, you and I share this similar thing that our enjoyment, even if something isn't funny, our mm. enjoyment of movies manifests in us laughing at movies. And yeah. oftentimes, like, I've had gotten that p- people don't understand. Like, when I'm actually enjoying a movie, I, I do laugh. At it, I mean, even will, if it's not will funny. Will laugh is a, an all-time classic of watching a movie. Patrick has uh, the Patrick <laughs> laugh too. Like there have been times, yeah. <laughs> there, there, I have what uh, my friends would call a like a shotgun laugh. You know, like yes. If, if you're in a movie theater and I'd be like the only one, just kind of <laughs> popping one off. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Um, so with that said, uh, so that's horror, uh, but now we're bringing you on to this show. Uh, tell us your history with uh, the kaiju and the giant monster uh, movie. Uh, well, you, as you say, I helped you get into horror. I, I actually do credit you a ton with getting me into kaiju movies. Uh, well, I mean, both of you and this you know, podcast certainly helped a ton. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who... Uh, once I find something I like, I'll dive into it. Uh, and, and let's see, well, I mean, I think the first, I got, I mean, I grew up with the American Godzilla, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I loved it and liked yeah. it as, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's pictures of me like in Christmas and my Godzilla onesie and everything. And I had the micro machines and, but for whatever reason, that never really, probably because my parents didn't watch them a ton, uh, never really transferred into me watching the the Japanese Godzillas until I met you guys. Um, that, that f- the first one we watched together was Biolanti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. still one of my favorite because <laughs> it has the, it has some of those wacky choices and it has, I mean, I, I think some of the scariest imagery from, mm-hmm. from any of the Godzilla movies. Yeah. And so I definitely, from that point on really started to seek them out and then when you guys started this podcast um and then with uh let's see with king of the monsters coming out is when i really started to just i don't know because once i'm into something I don't want to just watch the main ones. I want to stretch out mm-hmm. and find all the weird well, shit. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's that's why we do the podcast yeah. in and of itself. It, it, admittedly, and, the and, history of everything. And admittedly, you do that way more than you know than I have, and, and that's mostly due to my own. Like, I'm just kind of, I'm not as good as stretching myself as thin um, <laughs> as, as you are, and uh, like you, and I definitely credit you as somebody who like you, you like you're always watching something and you know expanding your you know your library of like knowledge of movies you've seen so there there have been like tons of movies that i haven't even got to that you just kind of uh you, that you get to so that that does show how passionate you can get and i think that's awesome i mean that's that's, the, that's what i was trying to say is 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 once once i'm into something like i want to know that something like if i'm if i'm gonna start watching shaw brothers martial arts movies i want to watch like the worst one and the best one yeah uh, yeah, that's I think the way you got to do it. That's the way you got to do it. I think because it really, I, I think it just gives you such a, a unique perspective on everything. Like in terms of that too, it's like you know when I I've talked about this a lot in the podcast. Another thing I talked about is my love for Disney, of course, and and mm-hmm. Disney Plus has really given me an opportunity to, to do that and stretch myself thin on on Disney history where like, that like kind of that weirdo wacky period of the seventies and eighties for the company is something where there's so much there that just so many hidden gems and so many not great things, but you kind of still, you got to get more of a sense of that whole history. And, mm. and, and because I think sometimes even those bad movies, and I think this is something to go back to the podcast, even those bad movies will have something to take away from them. And I think a lot of people Absolutely. sometimes will try to avoid the bad movies because they're they're bad, you know. And like I I genuinely think that there's a lot to learn from like the worst of like Bond and Godzilla that we've seen. Um, and a lot Absolutely. To I mean, and that goes back to to what Will was saying in terms of how we enjoy things. If if one if a if a movie like a ninety minute movie has one batshit laughable entertaining moment, it's worth it. 
you know? Yeah. And, and that's what draws me to, to watch so much horror is I find more than any other genre, you're going to get that. I'm a big, I think you guys know I'm a big proponent of like one of the things that makes horror and especially monster movies so much so great is craft as well. So it's like, Mm. you know, I I think sometimes it's it's fashionable to throw out a movie if, you know, the entire package doesn't come together, you know, if like, and whereas I think like, yeah, well, you know, maybe if like, you know, the acting or like, like some of the arcs are not on point, but man that set piece is impressive like you know that i mean yeah. that is the craft of it too i mean you know they're yeah, cause, i mean half the this yeah one of the things that got me through some of the not so great godzilla movies is like well the miniature work's still mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. you know that suit design is still great you know and that doesn't really change throughout the series yeah i, I was gonna say real quick just to go back like where you i'm kind of the opposite of you where where you kind of like really you know uh you know get all the movies in like your web and like you really expand i feel like i do the opposite where i'll watch like godzilla versus mothra from 92 and then i'll spend like a month Mm -hmm. like analyzing that and like thinking and like diving deeper into each movie so i think that's Mm -hmm. why it takes me longer Mm -hmm. to get through movies because i'm like so then by the end of it i'm like by the end of the month yes so this is a movie about how like you know the forces of nature are actually um, Mothra and Batra, and then you know they are you know conflicting with the man-made creation, which is Godzilla, and then that's like the theme of the book. Like, so it's like it takes me a month to like get into that, and it's like, all right, now I'll talk about Rodan after all these years. Um, well, I mean, and part of that's through, I mean, just the structure of your podcast, even too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, true, true. So, and another reason, and so bringing the two together, the horror and the uh, the kaiju uh, film, one of the things that I, I did uh, want to bring you on is, uh, because you were one of the first people and people close uh, to me that has this uh, take that you have you have put monster movies, kaiju movies, in horror lists. And uh, yeah, one of the reasons you know this episode, obviously, because Halloween is coming up. Um, and, uh, another piece that inspired is, a uh, cool dude, one of our listeners there, there's the shadow from a, a legitimate shout out. And, um, you know, saying like, you know, what movie, what kaiju movies fit into the horror, uh, genre? Because we talked to, we, we watched Colossal recently and we talk about how like the kaiju franchise, like subgenre can be molded to fit into other genres so in that case it was like a dark dramedy and it's like a like an indie dark Mm -hmm. dramedy and it's also like a kaiju movie um so with horror it was a little different like nick and i talked about there's elements of horror in kaiju films like destroya um the gamera series have it uh and those are normally relegated to like when there's like a smaller monster so they can get like more intimate like horror type scenes um Mm -hmm. but um when I, yeah, it, it, it was hard because I couldn't think of too many examples where I would go to, like, this is a horror movie and also a giant monster movie. Now, there are some examples that we can talk about, but I, I was thinking more of the lines of, like, but is there, like, a Godzilla movie that is a horror movie as well? And I, and I had a hard time kind of equating the two. Um, maybe when you get to, like, the older films, like the film that we're going to talk about uh, today um, on this episode, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, where there were kind of tangentially connected like all those types of like creature features and like you know horror Mm -hmm. movies like the blob and things like that are all considered horror movies and now they've kind of moved away some like similar to the alien genre with uh big sci-fi and like action stuff um Mm -hmm. and no knock on that it's just that's just kind of where it went so 
But then you made a horror list, and then you put Godzilla King of the Monsters on, on that list. Mm-hmm. And, and I always thought that was interesting. Uh, so you, you, uh, why don't you kind of uh, explain what your, uh, what your thought process is on that? Well, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty loose with genre. Um, I, I think a lot of people get a little uh, just Precious. stuck on it. Yeah. I think people are precious um, with genre. I, yeah. I think a lot of that comes from, I mean, two of my favorite movies are Alien and Aliens. And I feel it's really hard to talk about those movies wise without people going like, oh, Alien is horror sci-fi, but Aliens is sci-fi with some horror, you know, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, eh, there's a monster in it. The, it to, to me, it's all very, I mean, it's a sliding scale, mm-hmm. you know? And to me, if there is a giant monster in it, and it is like doing some kind of destruction, mm-hmm. then there it's impossible for it to be at zero percent horror. Mm. So if there is some horror in there, I mean, these are. And I think where a lot of people get stuck up uh, on it, and you mentioned this with uh, you know smaller monsters and scale, is is just with the scale. Like mm-hmm. the bigger the movie, the harder of a time people have processing it as as horror yeah mm-hmm. I, I i understand and, and and it's and it's a i would be lying by saying if i didn't share that um a little bit um i i completely get where you're coming from though like a and uh i find myself kind of halfway on your point that i i do understand that there are some of those roots but then at the same time it's like like uh you look at a similar thing i mean you're talking about uh, destroya uh you know very aliens-esque mm-hmm. um well, I mean, would you deny at all that Underwater, the recent Underwater, is a horror movie? Yeah, I would consider that a horror movie. Yeah, I would. And, and that's something that's, that has a, a bunch of little tiny ones, and at the end, right. arguably, a giant kaiju. Yeah. Um, and then even going back to the original ones, <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think the easiest ones in people's heads to classify as horror in the Godzilla vein would be probably the original Gohira. Yeah, uh, I, I think you could make an argument some separation. for that. Yeah, like, oh, I wouldn't be scared of that, but people understand that people in the fifties mm-hmm. were scared of that, and that I was intended to scare people in the fifties. Um, and I think you can say that about Shin too. I, I mean, I, I would be oh, open. Shin's terrifying. I would be open to the argument of, uh, about Shin, and and again, I think this is. I mean, you and I definitely agree on this point that people are too precious of genre and i think we get too stuck up on uh, in, in those specifics i think they're good to kind of like as like a uh, like a, a base like kind of cater- ca- mm-hmm. category but um I, I think we do uh like you said get, get caught up on it but and i think the where i side a little bit on the opposite side of you too is because it maybe this is just because what i may look like in a uh, in in um in um in a kaiju movie um, can I make you the host of this, by the way? Absolutely. How do I do that? I was just going to ask. Um, make host. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, I guess it's just maybe like very um, uh, like arbitrary things, like maybe like what I'm looking for in like a in like a Godzilla movie, and you know when I or what I look for in a horror movie, like so. I and I and I agree. Like I I think it's kind of also reductive to say like oh a horror movie has to scare me like that it's, it's got to scare if it doesn't scare me then it's not a horror movie because there's you know the horror genre doesn't always have to actively scare 
Um, but there's also no elements that I would be expecting to see in King of the Monsters that I would be expecting to see in something like um, uh, like It Follows or Underwater. And, and I think like mm. spe- Underwater is a good example because that is more uh, monster horror. You know what I, you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. I think that's where the disconnect is for me, uh, at least. But where you're coming from, I also kind of agree with as well. And I, yeah. I think it comes. Or go ahead, Nick. Oh, I mean, I just think that in general, I mean, that's something we we have talked about. I, I even within the course of the podcast, let's just talk about horror. But yeah, the, the specific people get really hung up on genre a lot, and you know because. I think this happens especially in horror, which is strange because horror is one of the most wide breadth genres uh, in terms of, you know, you have those classic, you know, we talk about the universal horrors of the 30s and 40s. Then you get into like, you know, the, those more visceral horrors of like the exorcists and uh, all that stuff in, in the 70s into this 80s slashers into the very meta 90s. It's like there's there's so much of that genre, but I think it happens in sci-fi. It happens in animation it happens in comedy that people will have their specific view of what the genre entails and i think that horror and kaiju i think one of the things that they do share is the fact that they are so easily mendable into so many different aspects because we've seen on the godzilla side of things we've seen them do you know like secret agent type of movies you know (laughs) in, in desert island movies and and kids movies and more adult movies and and you know it it really has gone all over the place where one of the things i love about the showa era of godzilla is you never knew what you were going to get in terms of you know content and genre and i think the horror genre Mm -hmm. one of the things i've loved discovering about the horror genre uh since you 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 guys have introduced me to it a little bit more is sort of again that wide breadth nature of tone and and like situation and type of horror and i think that's something that they they connect up as well uh in terms of that and and again i think we talked about it we talked about it a little bit before but yeah people do struggle with the intimacy of a kaiju film as a horror film because it's like well if it's a giant monster you can't have like that you know the classic like sneak up or or like the tension and stuff like that but i do think that there is an element of just the idea of all those people dying like like one of the one of the ones that we mentioned in terms of horror in terms of the Godzilla franchise is Godzilla versus Hedorah. Um, Absolutely. In, in ter- of, you know, especially because that starts as a smaller creature and everything like that. So, uh, But I do think that it, it is an interesting sort of issue that we face as film fans sometimes. It's just we put everything in this little box and really cinema is something that expands beyond the box most of the time. So I just want to kind of get that point across in, in this interview. Um, yeah, and I, I think, I mean, going back to just appreciating individual elements, it, having watched so much horror, uh, I mean, only like 10% are going to be like, have it all and be like a good, perfect, great horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and everything else I'm, I am watching for individual elements. It, it, there are horror movies that are completely not scary, but have some good art, uh, good gore art. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are movies, I mean, Zombieland, it's a zombie movie, but you, there's no pretense that you're going to be scared mm-hmm. at all. That's a good point. Um, and, and so for me, it all, I, I, I do 
classify a lot of things based on its iconography mm. and roots. Mm. And so to me, a monster movie is, and there, I don't think there's any arguing that all kaiju movies are monster movies, is a subset of horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back to its roots, I mean, Gohira, I, th- I think, is genuinely scary. And then uh, similar movies, the area War of Gargantuans is basically just a really large Frankenstein sequel. Mm-hmm. You know, I to to me, it's it's I I don't really see a need to separate that. Mm-hmm. Like these are just oh, this is just a a monster movie that's just not necessarily trying to scare you. You know, it leans into the sci-fi and it's trying to thrill, and I I think it's that's fine. I think that's a very interesting point, um, especially in the sense that I think that's another thing about the box of horror is that expectation to be scared. And because there's a lot of different types of horror, everybody has their different expectations of what will scare them and how they will be scared. And in that sense, it's similar to comedy in that there's a lot of different types of comedy and a lot of it comes down to to taste and, and ability to kind of take it in. And I think the more open-mindedness you have in terms of genre and the more open-mindedness you have in terms of content, I think the, just the more enjoyable films come to watch. And especially when you can, because uh, I know Will and I have always been on this kind of track that people can get very weird about tone. And if the, you know, if a movie kind of mm-hmm. goes between two different tones, it can really throw them off in terms of how they enjoy the movie. And I think that especially weird about again, tone, basically like once something makes you laugh, everybody's like, what? <laughs> what is this? What is this like? What is this Austin Powers all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, I mean, there's so many like horror films, like, you know, part of the joy of like, you know, the uh, um, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies with all their relics is like those, <laughs> those Freddy deaths. But, you know, um, and sort of the you gotta get sometimes the so bad it's good element of horror just as you get the so bad it's good element of kaiju films and i think that again it's just there is i mean i think you have a good argument patrick that there is just an openness to be like if it has something that can be seen as scary whether it is scary or not you know mm-hmm. i think that there there's an argument to be made about it, it having those horror elements especially again kind of its connection with you know how it evolves from Creature Lagoon and and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and everything like that, and then going into you know what what Japan does and and even going back all the way to King Kong as mm-hmm. the original giant monster movie and sort of the 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 horrifying elements of 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 that movie. And I mean, it takes like a lot of you know like the uncharted island and the the natives of that island and and exploring that and that kind of delves into a, another subjection sub. Uh, subsection of horror i mean it's all the fear of the unknown right yes i i do want to while patrick while while we do have you there are a couple movies i do want to touch upon um because when the bag (laughs) actually yeah that's that's not (laughs) you you know what you make a funny but that's actually not a bad one to bring up because that movie does uh i know you and i have seen i don't know if nick has seen it but 
it does have its fair share of like horror type tropes. Like it, it does try to have a jump scare here and there. And it, and it frames itself definitely like it gets very set PC by the end, obviously, because it's like a giant shark and it's a Jason Statham movie. But it does mm-hmm. pace and frame itself as a horror movie, really. Like it's like, you know, the kind of like lurking killer. And it, it's kind of like like would you like I'm I, I think we're on the same. We may all be on the same page, but and I, I think I would consider Jaws a horror movie. I don't think a lot of people would. I, well, I think like the, oh, the snootiest of us. Of horror yeah, movie. I think the snootiest of people. Uh, don't, again, but that kind of comes into like sometimes people don't want to call something a horror movie because of Jaws two, also yeah. a horror movie. Yeah. Jaws three, uh, definitely a horror movie. Jaws four, <laughs> the revenge. Jaws four, possibly the scariest the most of them all. <laughs> See, and this is this is where people get caught up on scale. You know, in the original, when you look at the the original Jaws and. I mean, the end climax is, you know, uh, boat destruction and him shooting at the shark till it explodes, right? And right. that's, that's mm-hmm. exactly the Meg, except just it's bigger. Right. The other you movies I, I did want to bring up, because I was thinking about what are the movies I would go to uh, mm-hmm. to, um, uh, to when, when thinking about this question of which giant monster movies are horror movies. Um, so the two movies that um, a lot of uh, people often bring up when talking about it are Cloverfield, and there is also a good case to be made uh, for Tremors. Um, I want to talk yeah. about Cloverfield first because that was probably the front runner for what today's like movie that Nick and I will talk about. But it, it was the front runner for for that uh, for that conversation, and for good reason mm-hmm. too, um, because it is very overtly like a take on the kaiju genre like you know it's just like what mm-hmm. if godzilla attacked but you know it's through the found footage it from this and, yeah, and, yeah. I, and i was about to say that um that it also gets into another like horror uh, especially something that had been ri- rising in terms of st- horror style in in the past decade up to that movie was the found footage genre which you know starts off really with blair witch and goes into Cloverfield and the Paranormal Activity movies and has become its own staple, its own subgenre in there. So it's kind of taking that, you know, because that's, you know, again, the argument of the kaiju film not being intimate, that is a way to make the kaiju genre intimate, is that found footage, that first person's perfect perspective. Like I was joking earlier, uh, in my head, I was joking when Patrick was talking about the five people on the road trip. I was thinking, like, the five, five people on the road trip making a movie and they encounter a kaiju. But that's basically mm-hmm. like, like Cloverfield is kind of has that intimacy of mm-hmm. of the found footage stuff. So and it, yes, I mean, if everybody was expecting us to do a horror movie for October, you know, it was just kind of like that would be the the ultimate case. And we're not doing it, but you know, that it makes sense because <laughs> people just imagine found footage and horror are, are just the same thing well, in, in, many, I, in many respects. I will say one of the reasons, because normally like the individual movies are up to Nick or I, for Nick for the Bond and uh, myself for the Godzilla. And, uh, and, and I'm actually coming at this being a Cloverfield fan. It's like I, I do enjoy that movie, um, and I think, Nick, you actually brought up something that is worthy of an entire episode where – you know, that's a good parallel is like because the found footage genre is so entrenched in horror. And, and I think that, you know, that works. I was a little bit more interested in just like how kaiju relates to horror um, as a whole. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons I, I kind of kept away from it, because 
I like that movie, and I actually, one of my other uh, guilty pleasures is I'm a huge found footage stan. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I, if it's found footage, I'll just watch it. I don't, I don't know why. I, it's, it's like immediately I'll, I'll watch it. And, um, but I also, at the same time, didn't really have that much else to say about that movie other than if we were going to get into the found footage genre. And I kind of wanted to focus on, like, the, the kaiju and the, and the horror uh, related stuff. And, and also the other thing about Cloverfield is like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's well made for what it, for, for what it's doing. Um, uh, I think a lot of it can come off as quaint, especially now. Um, I think most of also what you would talk about is the, the viral marketing campaign, which was stellar. And I don't think anything has matched up to it since. Um, which is also a staple movies too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and probably like the best, um, lead up like the, the best extension of like Blair Witch because you can't really do the people believe it's going to be real um so they let's get people uh into the world of Cloverfield leading up to it like I, I was all on board with it but uh, I mean so that's why probably for a full movie conversation I, I, I didn't pick it but it is one of the go-tos where you would say horror movie kaiju movie Cloverfield uh, fits into that. Patrick, uh, what what are some of your thoughts on just like Cloverfield and how it fits into that dynamic? I mean, yeah, I think it's very easy for people to code it as horror in their minds because of the found footage. And you say it's entrenched, but like I can't think of a found footage movie that's not horror. Uh, yeah, that's not a true. documentary. <laughs> that, that, that is true. That is true. Like that, I've always said you're more going off the reservation by making like a dramedy found footage movie or like, a, well, you know, there, there's even movies like, like the dirties is like a found footage, like type movie, but it's, it's so full of tension and the stakes are very I see, horrific. In my head, the dirties is horror. <laughs> no, no, that's what I mean. It's like, it, it, it's so yeah. full of tension and the, the stakes are horrific that you do mm-hmm. kind of look at it in the same lens as like something like Blair Witch or like, you know, you don't, you just don't know what's around the corner. It's so intimate and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, do you like Cloverfield? Uh, oh, I love Cloverfield. I yeah. think Cloverfield's great. I, and I, 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 I do think it's a, a lot of people do define the genre as just how it's presented. Um, you even, I'm trying to, to wrap my head around the thoughts. I mean, it, it just goes back to like, I define the genre based more on its iconography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Cloverfield's obviously horror to me. So in, in my head, uh, well, what about uh, what about thoughts of the movie proper, like itself? Like maybe we can just kind of like you know rattle those off real quick, like where it, where it succeeds in like bridging those two gaps, and uh, and, and just like you know where it fits. Like Nick, well, maybe I, you can even talk about is like where do you think it quickly fits into the uh, into the kaiju canon um, at all? Patrick, you can go first. Well, I think one of the places it succeeds most, uh, and I mean obviously being found footage, part of its goal is putting you in the midst of a, a, a kaiju attack and making it uh, sort of ground up point of view. Uh, I think you look at a lot of the older Godzilla movies and it's a lot of these big whys of watching these two monsters kind of attack each other. And I think one of the best things the more recent Godzilla movies have done, including King of the Monsters, including Shin, and especially uh, the 2014 Godzilla is sort of show like what does this feel like to a person mm-hmm. i mean we talk about the 2014 godzilla uh the airport introduction right mm-hmm. 
knowing what it feels like to stand like in the airport and see just that giant foot step down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's terrifying to me. And that's the entirety of Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it gets into that sense of scale, which I think is very important with a lot of, you know, especially recent Kaiju films that I think we've seen, mm-hmm. especially in a 2014 Godzilla for us at the podcast is, is one of the heights of that sense of scale. But I even think, like, it's uh, the, really the whole legendary monster verse, because I think you even get that in, in Kong Skull Island a lot mm-hmm. um, with the scale. And I think that Cloverfield just being the found footage and, and again, having kind of that first person perspective uh, adds to that and adds to the immediate horror of the situation. What, what I, I'd say the big difference between how, say, Cloverfield handles it versus how uh, something like the recent Godzilla movies handle it is. Uh, there's no sense of real majesty in Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at like something like King of the Monsters or even 2014 Godzilla or even Shin, uh, there's the element of like terror, but also beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is, is a, a real important staple for kaiju movies too. One of the interesting about Cloverfield is like, I don't think it even mentally registers that it's like a giant monster Godzilla movie until there's like a shot toward the end of the movie when they're in the helicopter and you're getting like the, the aerial view of it, like, you know, crawling mm-hmm. through the buildings and, and, you know, clearly it is a giant monster movie, but I think like then like, you're right. The iconography of like, Oh, Godzilla like kind of comes up in, in that area of the film. Uh, and the other well, thing, it's the, the 90, the 98 Godzilla does the same thing. I mean, you. Yeah, it, it's yeah, like an suppose, hour yeah. in, so you get the full shot of of Zilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you look at the the helicopter chase. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. like, a good five minutes of that chase where you're just seeing like the tips of its tail, or you know, the its its spikes. And right. It's the same exact thing Cloverfield does. The other thing I was going to say about Cloverfield, just the movie itself, is the, the what is interesting is there is no effort to explain what's going on in the movie. And I don't want to say effort. It's just like, it's, it, it is a choice. Like, because even with some found footage movies, they will at least give hints to like, oh, this is why the house is haunted. You know what I mean? And then other than like, if you followed that viral marketing, which I did, you have zero inclination of like what this monster is. Like, cause there is this whole, and even there's hints in the movie itself, but there's all these kind of like, you know, uh, there is a lore behind it that I won't get into about like that the monster was like, you know, awakened based off like a, you know, a drilling accident and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the movie doesn't really take any steps to, and, and I think to its benefit, I, I think that's what makes it really feel intimate because I feel like once you get into like the characters are starting to find out what it is, then it becomes like, like a, like a fictional piece. And um, obviously it's a fictional piece, but I, I think you guys are kind of like, uh, picking up what I'm putting down on, on yeah, that Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it does its best to just make sure you're along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and while, and then the last uh, thing I wanted to talk about, unless you guys had, like, any other movies you would put into this, but uh, Tremors is, like, the yeah. other big one that a lot of uh, people um, put on this list. And one of the things, one of my reservations for it were, like, and it's very arbitrary, is, like, Ah, oh, but it's not like a Godzilla-sized <laughs> monster. But it is a giant monster. I mean, it is a giant monster uh, ravaging a town, and you know, uh, and uh, it has some of those staples, and it's definitely a horror movie. Um, I think that 
uh, one of the things I will say, first of all, because I thought a lot about what you brought up to me, Tremors, which you've showed me, Will, and I've, I very much loved, uh, very much appreciated. But again, I think it's the fact that they're these underground sandworms just brings in, again, that intimacy of horror. Because, again, like a lot of things people would say, well, like, you know, you can't hide. You can't, like, sneak around with a giant monster. But these giant worms are just underneath the ground and can pop up at any time. And I think that that adds a lot to what, again, the perception of that people have of horror and what horror needs to be. Well, it has that inbuilt tension uh, because these giant worms are terrorizing this town under the ground. And I think that that would add to that argument that people who would say that that's like a giant kaiju horror film or giant monster horror film for that for that very reason. Uh, but that's just obviously we've we've talked a lot about different aspects of it, but. Uh, of, of the whole genre itself, but I think that would be the argument that people have for Tremors as the horror movie because again, it it, it is able to deliver on what people believe. Oh, is I mean, that it's horror, definitely horror a horror intimacy. movie. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. oh I didn't yeah. think we were arguing that it was a horror. No, movie. no, 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 no. Are no. we talking oh, well, about the classification as to whether or not these things are monster. are yeah. are big enough to be a kaiju? Yeah, I know I, it's I, an ar- I think... it's arbitrary. I, I agree. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like. No, make I, I mean I'd say it's definitely a, a a monster movie, but it's definitely a giant monster horror movie. Right. Like, that's what I, that's it, what I'm look, saying. If... But again, it, but it, but I believe that again, what I'm saying is that it, the ability of the monster to kind of create those intimate horror moments, I think, is what kind of lends people to it as a giant monster horror movie. Patrick. Yeah, I mean, if if Clifford the Big Red Dog can be a, a kaiju, I'm soaking <laughs> an ass blaster. All right. <laughs> well, ass blasters are are too small to be kaiju. I think graboids. I'll I'll give the pass to. I right, I, right, I think right, I think gra- right. graboids are. Um. Do you, did you have any other thoughts on Tremors? I mean, I think I think the only. I mean, I I think it's a good one to put in there because I think it's easy to see that. Like these are giant monsters, and it's also one that does play with tone. Mm-hmm. I think I think Tremors is a fairly light and fun movie. Yeah, it is. It's a very and, fun, fun movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, so it's it's one of those connector pieces where if you're trying to convince somebody that kaiju movies are horror movies, uh, it's a very Tremors is a very important uh, mm. line in it because you can go like, okay, well, if you think this is horror then you think Tremors is horror. Mm. Then do you think, like, Eight-Legged Freaks is horror, you know? Then what are your thoughts on Kumunga, you know? Right, right. No, I mean, that. I mean, I'm so glad you brought up Eight-Legged Freaks because that is, and that really, like, is, like, kind of playing off of those early B movies, like, oh, like, the, the mm-hmm. giant ants from outer space. Like, it's kind of playing off of that Absolutely. type of early horror film, so... Well done. Well done. This is why you're on the show. This is why we brought you on. I think a lot of people don't have a problem classifying uh, animal monsters as horror. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, alien monsters, even though a lot of the times they are based off of animals, like, you know, Kamunga and stuff, uh, is is a little harder for them. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna wrap up. Um, this has been super fun, Pat. Thank you. I for did. I did. I one more question. Yeah. No. No. I mean, it's like uh, if uh, as we wrap up, if if any of you guys kind of have any kind of like final thoughts or movies that we didn't talk about that you can briefly mention, uh, Nick. You well, two go things. First? One non-horror found footage movie, Project X. Oh what, yeah. What about it? 
It's a non-horror it, it, it found exists. footage movie. Yeah. It exists. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. It's a non-horror found footage movie. That's true. Um, I mean, unless you're a parent, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah. Project yeah. Almanac. <laughs> what was that E.T. one? Earth to Echo? Earth to Echo. That's one. Yeah, that that, that, um, that one's a, yeah, yeah. But the one thing I wanted to mention, because we, we talked about this before, Patrick, you came on, and I'm sure you'll have a lot of similar thoughts, but I still wanted to get your thoughts on this as, uh, as someone who has directed horror films is we've seen that a lot of we, we've seen that a lot of horror directors make their way to the kaiju genre you know we've mm-hmm. seen you know matt doherty we've seen uh, adam wingard's going to make his way into it when, when kong vs godzilla finally comes out um or even like you know I, I wouldn't say that it's you know or matt reeves went reverse he started with the kaiju genre with with cloverfield and has gone away to do bigger things so but in terms of what do you think makes those horror directors fit so well into the, the kaiju genre like is is it just the crafters is it just that ability or or what as as a perspective of you as a director and you as a horror director kind of think really translates from horror to that kaiju genre so well from a directing perspective i mean i mean first and foremost it's the the love and understanding for monsters you know fangoria number one fangoria number one had godzilla on the cover <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that actually. Yeah. Oh, that's and, awesome. And, and, well, so I mean, you a lot of these, especially because uh, a lot of the people taking over these movies are the generation right above me. A lot of them grew up uh, reading these magazines, and and you'd see uh, special features and articles about how uh, Freddy did his last kill right next to oh how they're making the new Godzilla movie. Uh, in, in our heads, like. These are all just monsters, whether they're big or small or anything. Like, this is what we love. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, sure you. You would be interested in the kaiju movie. Very. Too, but... Yeah, I think it's very easy to see. You, no matter your thoughts on how flan- uh, how, um, King of the Monsters was handled, it's very easy to see his love. Doherty's love for these monsters, the care and attention and understanding that went into the monsters is uh, very evident and something that I'm sure absolutely came through in his pitch for the job. That's kind of my thesis statement for all three of the legendary films. I I I feel Mm -hmm. like there's no way you can honestly say that the directors didn't come in and really execute a specific vision. because when you look at something like 98 no you know real like you know i don't like piling onto that movie but it's kind of like a standard way in which you would make a movie like that like you know it's like kind of like a yeah, standard no, it's, blockbuster it's a Roland Emmerich movie it's right. a and a, i mean i think there are a bunch of kaiju movies that fit into the disaster genre mm-hmm. but you yeah Godzilla 98 is very clearly a disaster movie with Godzilla in it right yeah, but even but, but even 2014, <laughs> yes, 2014, yes, 2014 has that disaster thing. But it, there's just a different feeling where it, it, there's a, a specific kind of. But like, the disaster is a concept is feels more like a direct consequence to. Mm-hmm, yeah, I got gotcha. at least tonally and how it's filmed uh, feels as a consequence to uh, the monsters and introductions of the monsters and for you to understand it, it, any disaster in 2014 feels like it's there for you to understand the scale consequence of the monsters that's a good point. whereas in 98 the disasters are 
like are the draw mm. like are the advertisement you know well just going, going back real quick one last thing is again one of the things we talked about is just how the horror genre can really fit into kind of almost any movie and i think you mentioning how the 98 godzilla has that kind of jurassic park sequence in madison square garden really makes me think of even jurassic park you know which again most people would definitely not consider a horror movie but has a lot it of should. horror movie elements to it you know it is a like, horror movie yeah <laughs> Like, but Steven you, Spielberg is one of our greatest horror directors. I mean, he did do Poltergeist. Oh, just kidding. He really did. Uh, I, I don't know. I it's a story. Uh, but <laughs> but but that's the whole thing is like Jurassic Park. You know, if you ask people nine times out of ten, they're not going to think about it as a horror movie. But there's a lot of horror movie elements and what people consider with horror movies. So again, there's the, the genre is so malleable, and I think that we just get caught up in it so much. Yeah. All right, last well, the, thing, Patrick. Oh, go ahead. Since this is our last, our one time to have you on this podcast, maybe not, maybe in the future, but we're, we are wrapping up this era of the Bonsilla podcast. R- any quick, hot James Bond takes you want to give? I don't know. I just want anything you want to yeah, say. That's fair. About it's James a fair Bond question. No, this is a good. This is a good way to to to, to wrap out of it. Oh, I don't hot takes or just takes on James Bond. Any thoughts on James Bond at all? You want to get out there as part of the podcast uh, or? Uh, the three best movie are the three firsts, or three of the firsts, Dr. No, GoldenEye, and Casino Royale. I, I love Roots. I love, I love firsts. I love Origins. I thought you said you like Roots, like the, like the movie. Um, oh, so you, mean like, so you mean like the beginning of each era is, is like mm-hmm. you think are the best ones. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you have a favorite Bond? Like, do you have one that you go to, or do you just kind of like all of them? Uh... It, it switches between those three, GoldenEye, Casino, and Doctor No. Yeah, or a Bond those actor. Are, yeah, like a Bond actor. Bond actor. Yeah. Uh, I I grew up uh, watching Sean Connery. Yeah. Uh, my mom, the he just is Bond in my head. Whether mm-hmm. or not his movies are best or not, eh. Whether or not they're uh, they've aged well, eh. But in my head, when I think Bond, I think Sean Connery. Yeah, that's still a big part of it for me. Like, you know, I don't know if you listened to our, our Bond actor episode, like our, our deep dive on it, but it was just recently this podcast kind of made me put more above Connery as my second favorite. But 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 Connery is still so iconic in that role that mm-hmm. it's hard to not. Um, and you still need to see, Patrick, by the way, you still need to see Never Say Never Again. Because I think if you like Connery in the role, I think you'll really like that movie. But, I, know, will, I will be. I, uh, I I have the box set. I uh, you know my rewatch has been delayed because of yeah you know the new movies delay. But yeah, I'll get there. Yeah. Well, Patrick, thank you so much uh, for 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 coming on and and hashing this out. Um, it has been great. We are uh, about to step in, pa- uh, Nick and I, um, to talking about the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, uh, which horror movie. Yeah, which I know well, that's all we're talking about is like so, and I know that that is another one you advocate for. But for uh, coming on and um, everybody, uh, keep an eye out for the film Threshold, um, and uh, it, it it's a it's a it's a definitely a labor of love. I know Patrick's proud of it. I'm super proud of what the rest of the cast and crew was able to pull off with that movie. Yeah. Um, I had no involvement, but I'm super proud as well. <laughs> uh, thank you guys. And it's definitely a movie that, uh, blends genre. It is mostly drama with horror, mm-hmm. but it would still be a horror movie. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Patrick and Nick. Let's uh, go on to talk about a movie.
I say there are things better left unsolved. Who knows what waits for us in nature's no man's land? Impossible, unbelievable, fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. Yes, it could happen. For various authorities believe that buried somewhere under the polar ice cap, in a state of suspended animation, are the awesome creatures, the leviathans that roamed the earth at the dawn of time. And under certain conditions, a nuclear explosion could free one from his icy tomb. Then, guided by instinct, the beast would come back, back to the caverns of the deepest Atlantic where it was spawned. An armored giant, wreaking his prehistoric fury on modern man and his puny machines. Cities would be terrorized by the cruel intruder from the past. Populations crazed and panicked with fear by its destructive force. Granite and steel would crumble. Soldiers and their weapons would be powerless before the onslaught of the beast. The beast. The beast. The beast from 20,000 fathoms. All right, and we're back talking about the beast from 20,000 fathoms, released in 1953. Going all of the way back. I think this is technically the earliest film we've watched. I was looking at that, um, and it may no wait. Some of the it was no because what was your Disney stuff? The Disney stuff was like that's fifty fifty nine. Yeah, 50, that was fifty nine. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I was thinking if this was maybe no because because Gojira was always the earliest, and that's the next year after this. So because yeah, 53. yeah, yeah. Well, that <laughs> yeah that plays into uh, one of the re- I'm I'm looking quickly in 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 our list of films. It would have been one of the later films that we discussed. Um, yeah, it looks like this may be the oldest, the one we did. That's, uh, 59. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, yeah, our earliest film that we're yeah. doing, and we're doing it fairly late. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, um, what I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. We just mentioned it on the podcast before, uh, in relation to Godzilla 98, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people would say that that movie was more of a remake of this than it was related to Godzilla. Yeah, or like you could think of that movie in the vein of something like th- yeah, more like more this. more yeah. in the in the realm of yeah. twenty thousand piece of twenty thousand fathoms. So one of the one of the reasons um, I want to you know I wanted to talk about this movie because you know we were really this was kind of like a blank space in like what to talk about. And then, you know, when we realized this episode was going to be coming out during the, the hollow week and, uh, the, um, all it, hollows week yeah, <laughs> it, that we knew it was coming out, you know, then, and we were going to, and this thing about, uh, the horror, uh, genre was kind of, you know, rolling around in my head. Um, it made me think of like kind of going back to something like this. It made me think about how like, you know, older kaiju films and older monster films kind of fit a little bit more into, into that horror genre. But the other reason too, is because, you know, as we're approaching the end of the podcast, I I felt like, you know, we really, I think we should talk about this movie. It's brought up many times during the whole legacy of, of, 
us talking about Godzilla. We've talked about it all the way back with 1954. We've talked about it with, as you said, with 98. Uh, and, you know, we also talk about the influences that uh, Ray Harryhausen um, has had on the uh, kaiju uh, filmmaking subgenre as a whole. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like I was thinking like, well, it, it all fits for all the other reasons that I was saying, but then I would also just kind of be remiss if we kind of went through that the whole thing and uh, didn't really talk about it. And uh, I had yeah. never seen it. Um, Me neither. And um, I, I am glad to report that I, I absolutely adored this movie. Like, it, I, it's I, so comfortable to go back to these 1950s B movies with their stop motion animation and their scientists and the black and white nature of them. Like, and I think again, people forget that this was a big part of what cinema was in this early era of cinema of movies were these kind of these B movie science fiction and monster and, and all this sort of nonsense that, that, that peaks in the late forties and into the fifties. And it's such a specific style. I mean, again, a lot of this stuff is, I've mentioned, you know, we mentioned a lot, a lot of this type of stuff is stuff you would see later on more mystery science theater stuff or, or being made fun of, but there is such an indelible, but it's good. That's my only thing. It it actually is pretty good. Like there's an indelible charm to just the style and, you know, the, the familiarity of just when you watch it. And, and and along with that familiarity and along with that kind of charm it has from just being the 50s B movie, it, it, it also does have a lot to offer in terms of a, a giant monster film. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of stuff that you would want and, and enjoy in, in a giant monster movie. And this was, again, a, another good watch for the podcast. Yeah, I, I, it's, um, it's just so airtight. That's that's the thing. I mean, the the thing that I could understand going into it, especially now, it it, it suffers from that. You know, th- there's kind of the thing that like a lot of people say, like you know, you, you know, kind of like the argument about like people advocate for something like Ghost in the Shell and like you know th- like anime like that, but then yeah. the whole world has now seen the Matrix, and the Matrix is so huge that now that, like, The Matrix has kind of ruined the experience of going to see, like, something like Ghost of the Shell for a lot of people. Like, so when mm-hmm. Ghost of the Shell came out, there a lot of people were like, well, this just kind of feels like The Matrix, and everybody's like, well, yeah, but that that's because The Matrix took cues from that. Like, you know, there's a lot of, like, different kind of, like, arguments like that. Yeah. And the thing about this one that I would understand from, like, fresh eyes is that when you watch a movie, this is 100% the movie that you think it's going to be, and it hits every single story beat trope of... You know, something happens, a monster is unleashed, nobody believes a monster is unleashed, the people try to f- prove that the monster is unleashed, and then the monster gets even more unleashed, and then they got to get rid of it. And, it, like, you know, there's no reinvention of the wheel, it's because, mostly because when you look at it, this is, like, a wheel, or, like, this is a, one of the spokes in, like, the original wheel, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you consider how much inspiration this caused going, you know, forward. You know, I think the order of big inspirations for this uh, type of filmmaking is probably King Kong. Then you get to this and then you get to like Godzilla, Um, which is funny because beast uh, from 20,000 fathoms is kind of like a there. It's kind of got these amalgamations of both Godzilla and King Kong. Like I I, I felt, um, which I thought um, was interesting, but that was my experience watching it though. Like that, all that said though, like, 
you know, I don't necessarily care if it's like reinventing the wheel, if it's familiar to the type of movie that you think it's going to be. It's super airtight. It's like it, it moves. I think there's like maybe one or two places where it's a little long in the tooth. Um, but other than that, like I, I thought that there were lots of really great moments. I, I think that the characters are likable enough, like and, think- and very engaging. And yeah. it also it, it peppers it with all these little delightful moments too, uh, as well. And then you're right, like just special effects wise, it just delivers on the creature as well. Yeah, because it's. I, I think I think a couple things with that. I, I I would agree that the characters are likable enough, but it does do that fifties B movie thing where once the big attack, like once the big monster attack happens, the characters kind of get lost in the sense of like they're just there to defeat the monster now and mm-hmm. kind of lose a little bit of that personality, which I think is, is not, you know, it's not like in every one of these types of movies, but it definitely is kind of a hallmark of more of the 50s style mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like the characters go from being characters to serving the purpose of the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, is- I would, I would agree with that. I, I would say like it, it is one of the thoughts I had, which was kind of a nitpick, but more of just like an observation because this is actually shared by all the movies of this era. Like for a time period in which like a lot of people claim about like, or complain about like the human plot lines and like more recent movies, like to be fair, like I was like, I, the reason I kind of am very much, you know, in defense of a lot of like the more modern takes is because at least like the modern movies now will follow through on some sort of storyline with the characters, yeah, yeah, some sort of storyline and a little bit of a character arc, you right? Know right, I mean? like, even the, like that. But but it really is. It's like because I do think that the characters do have like there's the main relationship between like uh, the 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 male scientist and the female scientist, which I actually think it does have a little bit of charm to it. And it's mm-hmm. again not like the deepest relationship, but you do have like a nice chemistry and, and just a, like a fun little, like they're getting together because she's the one that believes him most. And then again, like once you get to the third act of the movie, it's just like none of that stuff, no, yeah. none of that stuff, none of that stuff matters in terms of the characters. It's about, it's all about the monster, which is fine because there's really some great stuff mm-hmm. in relation to the monster. Uh, but I just want to, it's just a very fifties thing. And I think like, that's one thing you have to get over. Well, for me, um, for me, it's like because what they do, and this is maybe why I'm a little bit more positive about it, is because like really this movie, what it wants to do is basically just say like, here are the characters, and you just need to know who they are and what they're like, and yeah. they paint them enough with like personality, and they give them these. I mean, there are these little interpersonal character moments. I thought that the way in which they kind of weaved into the mystery of them trying to find out what's going with the monster. I thought there were some like actually clever plot points and plotting in the movie. Yeah, um, I thought this this movie was definitely not I wouldn't say surprisingly, but it was it was joyfully clever in a lot of respects mm-hmm. in terms of set pieces, in terms of twists and turns. Yeah. Like there there was a lot where I was like, oh wow, like that's legitimately like a creative idea. Mm-hmm. Um and, and stuff that, like, you kind of almost think, like, you're kind of surprised hasn't really been reused that much yeah. in, in, in future stuff. Because like, there's a lot of ideas that you definitely could put your own twist on and reuse. But it was it was very, like, it was, it was very clever in a lot of respects, and I, I really did appreciate that. One of the big ones for me was the whole, uh, obviously, you have the guy is saying there's a monster, and nobody believes there's a monster. Like, and, yes. you know, it's, it's an obligatory kind of, first act, second act part of the movie. 
and you usually kind of sit through it. But what I found as it went on was that that was kind of plotted in a clever and believable way. Like, you know, in, in terms of like how exactly that he had to prove, like, you yeah. know, how, how our characters had to prove it happened. I thought that the, like those specifics were very clever. And then, of course, the saving grace of any movie like that is that they don't belabor the point that like somebody doesn't believe. Like, they eventually yeah, do convince the people, and everybody's, like, a reasonable person. There, there is a <laughs> p- point where it's, like, everybody has enough evidence to be, like, at least something strange. Right, story, right. Where it's, like, because it is, like, you do get, like, especially more, is, like, you ha- you always see, like, you have to have the character that's, like, up until the, like, up until he physically sees the monster. It's, like, this is still ridiculous. Like, right, like, everybody right. Everybody at, at some point is, like, no, you've, you've brought up enough evidence. Well, they also do, like, everybody has a relationship with each other, too, so it makes it a little bit easier to bridge into that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, The other thing I I would say, in terms of connecting it to what we've looked at at the podcast, is I found it was very interesting, like, how much this did feel like a future, like, American version of a Japanese monster movie. uh, In terms of, like, a lot... Because, like, the movie opens up with this big... um, you know, kind of uh, like voiceover about this this nuclear test that's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is like that sort of voiceover is the same type of trick you would see in like an American version of a Godzilla movie to like go over the fact that they have to like you know go over this footage that isn't you know in Japanese or whatever it is. You know, like that that you would have kind of a voiceover. You would have kind of just like you know the the basic setup with with stock footage of nuclear tests. Like I'm 100% sure one of those nuclear tests was like used in like the like SpongeBob like, like right 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 yeah 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 it's like those type of nuclear tests was, but it's like that's the exact type of way they would edit it to like okay well this is how we like get the American audience into the story right and it was just interesting to see that like even for an American production that that that's that far back and just kind of how how things were settled with that so I thought it was interesting to even connect like it, what did have its connections to the you know the japanese monster genre that you know would kind of come back into being like that's what you know how he kind of made the monster movies for a while the difference is is that in the states we preach at the beginning and in in, in, in uh, japan they preached at the end yes. <laughs> like it wasn't until yeah. the end that you found out and this is why we don't need nuclear weapons um yeah, so the, the the plot of the film, as you kind of said, is like we open up. It's essentially that our main characters are doing a nuclear test in the Arctic, um, in the, in the, yeah, near the North Pole, near the North Pole, and um, they and their tests awaken this beast from twenty thousand fathoms. And you know they have the line where it's like it's like what will our tests rot on the on the world, like you know stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, it's basically revealed over the course of the film that this was basically a ancient um, prehistoric creature um, that has been in hibernation uh, this whole time, and then yeah, the nuclear it's, tests it's, awakened it. It's it's a Captain America dinosaur. Yes, <laughs> it's Captain America, but he's it, a giant dinosaur, and he comes That's to basically. New York, and not for uh, not for beneficial reasons. Uh, um. One thing I will say, well, we're, we're in the Arctic part. Mm-hmm. Gotta say, love those '50s era sets where it's very clearly like mountains on a stage, like mountains. Oh on yeah, a yeah, yeah, in, in yeah. Burbank somewhere. Yeah, because it's just like you, you just see it's like the static camera and kind of the lack of depth, and just like you can tell like the 
it's kind of like a blizzard so they're they're shooting like the the flurries of whatever they're using for their snow but like the wall is clearly just a wall mm-hmm. it's just I, that's part of the charm though it is, watching it this is. Type but of it, movie. but it, it is really polished and good like you do feel yes. like, like you know it, it's a set but you feel like it doesn't feel flimsy or cheap it, it like no no it, it's like the top is like usually like what we make fun of these types of movies it's like the very cheap like oh so clearly a set where it's like this one is clearly a set but again you're right there is kind of the detail and the polish that kind of more encapsulates you in the world mm-hmm. but it's just still it's kind of again with it's just the the old school filmmaking techniques it's just it's again there's a charm of watching that and it's just seeing how far we come yeah, other- you know, like like in today like there's no way that scene would not have been filmed on location somewhere and then, like, augmented by, you know, green screen work I, I mean, and CG. King, King of the Monsters is yeah. that way. They, they, that's what they do in, in, in right. that film. But it's just, like, there's just a charm to seeing the static camera and then walking in the frame with, with mm-hmm. just, the, like, the fake snow coming in. But, again, it, it is, like, the best version of that. You're right. Yeah, I mean, other than maybe some B-roll and one specific scene involving an octopus, like, everything stood up. Like just technically. I'm <laughs> sorry, I was just thinking about that octopus I mean, scene. Th- okay, that is- I, can I just get? There's a scene because it, it really is the only truly negative thing I have to say about the movie. There's a scene where they're looking, where you're underwater and they're looking outside and they're seeing an octopus and a shark fight. It's so bad. Like that's the only thing where it's like it's clearly in a tank. They're just filming this octopus fighting a shark in a tank. It's this really like- not that exciting or engaging. And then you're kind of like. Then you're wondering, did they make a shark and an octopus fight each other? Like, ugh, like this is you know, very odd. This is very no, strange. No, it's very much. It's very much like it. It's padding. You know, it's sort of being like the majesty, the majesty of the underwater world, and and the 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 nature of of animals fighting in this. You know, then we get this other creature coming in. But no, it definitely. I kind of was laughing because I'm like, oh, they just put this in to just kind of get a little bit more out of them being like underwater, like somewhere. Um, no, I thought that was funny. That yeah, no, I yeah, that was that was weird. That was the only thing where I was like, ooh, because I was just praising how much like this this stands up, and then I was like, ooh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it really is no reason for it, and it's just like my thought was like, oh, they like got an octopus and a shark to fight, and they just filmed it. And then they had that footage somewhere. It's like, oh man, that's so cool. We gotta put it in a movie. Yeah, yeah. That that was really the 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 only thing. But yeah, so I, I definitely agree. And and I do want to point out this this stuff in the Arctic too. And this was one of the things that was really engaging me is was because I really felt like this movie took the time, maybe not to like give you a fleshed out character, but every person felt like a person. Like yes. every scene was like characters would like bounce off of each other and you could tell like, all right, like our main character is like buddies with these other two guys or at least working colleagues. And then like, you know, there like there's that like there's just little lines about like now remember if anything goes wrong and there are explosions, you turn the other way, like something like that. And the other guy's like, what? We're scientists, not heroes. We run away (laughs) or something like that. And it was just like little moments like that were peppered throughout the movie just does wonders for like you're right like we're not getting like good like arcs and storylines that go from a to b but they it just really um it just fleshes out the likability of this world and um you know i i don't know if you know i'm still following like every you know character and if they meet their demise i'm like that like upset about it but it definitely makes it an enjoyable engaging watch i thought 
Yeah, no, they they give it up at, at the beginning, at least for those scientists. And it's not it's not as if like they're, you know, always in the movie, but there's enough where it's like they've been these guys cooped up in the Arctic for, you know, a little bit and they're buddies, mm-hmm. you know. And again, it's just again, you're right. The, the 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 that just sort of natural feeling real aspect of it. So then, as, as the as the movie goes on, uh, he gets like he he gets a look at, at the creature. Well, yeah, for, Arby, one of his Arby. colleagues does, and then the colleague gets killed. Um, yeah. and then but then he sees it. That was one of those little long in the tooth moments. I thought they kind of hit a double beat there, where it's yeah, like. Uh, one guy sees it and then he knocks out and then he gets like attention and then the second guy tries to go find him and then he sees it that he gets knocked out and gets right like so that was one of those kind of like double beats I don't think that was completely necessary yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with you yeah. I thought it was enough especially I thought it was important that the guy was still alive to tell like about the monster mm-hmm. you know the, the, the guy who ends up dying and I think that's kind of a part of you don't believe him because he starts like you know when he's you know then our main guy who's uh Tom, Tom Nesbitt mm-hmm. is our main scientist character, um, Professor Nesbitt. And he kind of like, you know, he gets knocked out. He sees the monster and then he's like, you know, we got to We got to go save Greg. And, and, you know, he's babbling in like his delusions of like, you know, he's knocked out and cold. And then, you know, they hear him say like the monster, we got to stop the monster. And so everybody kind of says like, oh, well, you were just hallucinating because you were almost. Yeah, I did dying. love that one psychiatrist guy, I suppose, who just basically mansplained to him what a hallucination was. I did like how he's just like now before they said anything, before they talked about anything else, he's like, now, listen, uh, when people get really stressed out and in the elements, they just see monsters. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just I like also- I, I did. I, I did like. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I also love that guy because, like, later in that scene in the hospital, they're, like, walking out. Mm-hmm. And then Tom's like, but what about that noise I heard? And the guy turns around and's like, could have been anything. Could have been the wind. Could have been anything. Yeah. And I was like, you didn't have one more thing other than the wind? Like, I felt like he was like, it could have been anything. Like, the wind? Oh, shit, I don't have anything else. This could have been anything. I, you know what? I do remember that part because I thought he was going to, like, list off another what it could right. have been. Like, but he's like, could have been like, anything. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the, it could have been anything. The wind is just like, that's my the job. only thing you mentioned is the wind. I, I, I did um, my but, – but that, you're right. That kind of, like uh, like, uh, starts unfolding this plot line of this whole um, him – Really, I guess trying to convince everybody that there's actually a monster out there, but, but I I, you just like this, you just buy that, that they wouldn't yeah. get buy it, like you know. Cause, I think I, I think the other part of it, yeah, like you buy you get that they wouldn't buy it because, of course, you know, giant monster who would buy that uh, in a you know in a world with with no Godzilla, you know, like who who would buy a giant monster. But the other thing is that I also thought what was very the 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 kind again the clever way is that then he sees the reports of, you know, the monster. We see a scene of, like, the monster attack in a fishing boat. And, you know, it's, like, another thing where it's, like, okay, well, there was this report and another monster. And, of course, like, the the nurse is, like, oh, that report's in the place it should be, the comic section. But, like, that's the way where it's, like, because you can even see where it's, like, maybe he's, like, sort of, like, maybe I did hallucinate. Because, like, you know, even to him, it's supposed to be able. But once he gets that second report, and then even a third report comes in. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, there was some, he like knows, okay, something is going on. This monster is on the loose. And it's not just like, it really isn't the one guy against the world that we see that, you know, there's other people in all these other places that have been attacked. Because, you know, he tries to contact the original, the, uh, the first fisherman that gets attacked. And he's like, he's like, listen, like people have been making fun of me for this for, for weeks already, like, come, like days. Like, I don't need to listen to you, like the French guy. And then he goes, searched out another guy. And even he's like, listen, that's all they talk about with me is this monster. I didn't see anything because 
everybody has that same reaction. But now that we've had three people that have seen it, now there's a little bit more of like a believability even to the, the Tom himself. Yeah, for a movie that is really kind of like in in the broad sense by the numbers, uh, they it just means a lot to me that there are these little moments that do keep it from being completely cliche. So like you're right, like any other movie like this, the whole conflict would be. He's crazy, there is no monster, and it's about him proving that there's a monster, and part of the conflict is all that. Whereas this was just kind of like, it, that was just kind of like, it was almost kind of like like in a heist way. Like he's trying, he, like he's kind of piecing together like the people who, you know, are believe that. They introduce characters who would, who would buy into this. But then the other thing that they do about it too is like the performance of, I, I think, like the captain or whatever, like the guy who comes into him. And the way even he kind of delivers like this line, and I, I don't know the specific line, but basically he kind of says like, "Listen, like, like it, it was a lot of stuff was going on up there, and you know we know we just talked about the hallucinations, like, like after all of everything that happens, I really can't write down in a report that there was a giant lizard, like, yeah. like you know if my bosses saw that, like I, I just can't do it, like, and I and I felt that, like I felt that that character, like, like I'm like, dude, I." I get it. I, I've been in that position where you're like, I can't go and tell that person that. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we're gonna. So uh, that that is what kind of uh, helped the a lot of the movie and the plot uh, for for me. And then eventually, you get introduced to more scientist characters, and that you get the, um, the paleontologist duo. Yeah, um, Doctor uh, Thurgood Elson, uh, I believe his name is, um, yes. and um, and Lee his, Hunter. His, Lee Hunter. Yeah. So I'll say this right now. Uh, Thurgood Elson is kind of the older side. Like he's, he's the lead of this paleontology division at this college. And then Lee uh, is his assistant. And she, you know, again, like even the little details of her relationship with him where it's like, I was in his class and I would always like challenge him and disagree with him. And I thought he was going to kick me out. But then as, as soon as I graduated, he, you know, asked me to be his assistant. And I thought that, she, you know, that, that her having that relationship with him, I thought, again, it just added those little details. But also, I do want to say right away that they give they give Dr. Elson, uh, um, they give him the I'm only a couple days away from retirement. Yes, yes, except, they do. Except instead of being away from retirement, he's like, I'm I'm a couple days away from the first vacation I've ever taken. Mm-hmm. And like, that's their big thing where it's like, because spoiler alert, he's the one who eventually like dies to the creature. But like his whole thing is like, I don't. Ha- I mean, I, I I appreciate you coming in, sir. But you know, I'm I I'm taking my first vacation in a couple of days, and I'm super excited. Well, even you know, even just- the scene before he dies, they're they're really hitting that note of like, I'll be right back, and like, oh, this yeah. is scientists do this all the time. There's not going to be any problem. Like they lay it on thick that this is the guy that you should like. If you had to like anybody who's going to die in this movie, it's this guy, and yeah. and and the movie goes out of its way to make sure that he's, happens. He's the jolly old man mm-hmm. thing where it's just like and, and that was nice because i did think that they were going to again go into like the conflict is like you know he's going to be like the kind of the older asshole scientist guy who doesn't believe him but then you know he gets convinced uh about yeah. it and, and, and that character really uh turns around because right, the, the whole thing is that like he he you know tom leaves like his hospital room basically kind of sneaks out and goes to the paleontology and it's like, well, if my military for my scientist friends and like, you know, their kind of connections to the government, like won't help me, then maybe these actual scientists will be interested. And of course, like 
Lee is kind of a little bit more interested in his plight because she kind of feels like, you know, he, he's genuine in what he's saying. Whereas uh, Elson is more like, well, it's just not realistic. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, a creature being frozen for thousands of years. Like, it's like just not possible. Right, right. And then she comes in like saying like, well, mammoth uh, skin has survived, like, you know, like yeah. or mammoth tissue at least has survived that long. You could tell she's like more of the open-minded, younger right. uh, person. And then speaking of that, one of the things I did want to talk about given like with her uh, profession and everything is like another one of those nice fleshing out the um, the relationships and the character beats is like they, they have – um, Lee and uh, Tom, they have um, you know, it's not a dinner. It, it's a uh, which is another thing they they really avoid. I think they kind of like as organically as you can develop this relationship. I think they don't kind right, of shove it the down opera your throat. One night. Uh, they were at the that opera the one night, but the the first scene in which they're getting together, they're doing research with each other uh, well, the, about the, what the it could have been. The thing is, is like she believes that um, he has he's onto something, but like her plan is, I have a bunch of these drawings and concepts of what dinosaurs mm. and ancient creatures look like if you can go through and identify and find it, yeah. one and then you know we get another person to identify it that's her thing where it's like if, if you've claimed that multiple people have seen this because that's the other thing is like you know now the these we've had at least a couple other reports of this monster attacking these boats and stuff like that but again everybody kind of is like well we've seen we've seen millions of like if we investigated every sea serpent story, then you know, like you know, what would we be doing? So as if they're they're Earth- constantly getting sea serpent stories. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, fishman stories and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So her plan is like, well, if you identify this, and then we get one of the other survivors to identify the same exact monster, well, then it's like, well, two people can't have the same hallucination. Like you would be, you would have seen the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of what led into, I think, some of the smart plotting is, like, one of the ways in which they prove it is that they get somebody else who is completely unrelated, and then they match the description, and that's kind of what convinces a lot of people. And I thought that was just some clever plotting. But uh, the reason, just going back to that scene, uh, but I, I liked the two bouncing off each other because, you know, they just established this relationship where these two are both you know, people of science, but, you know, she is, um, what is she, a, pa- a paleontologist? Yes. Um, and so she, you know, they have this basic conversation where it, it boils down to, you know, she is a scientist and she's like, you know, she looks back to the past and like, you know, he is a scientist who's kind of like looking for like, you know, new horizons in the future. And that's why they were doing the nuclear testing and everything. And it kind yeah, of I sets it, huh? The, the line they have is like figuring out, like she figures out the past is, more complicated than expected and he figures out that the future is brighter right than ever right so they're kind of like get together even though he does say like you're too pretty to be a paleontologist yeah yeah they throw that in there they they throw that in there not gross though this movie avoided a lot of like those potentially gross things i thought but they yeah. they did no, have no, but that. I mean, they know because they do just give her she's like she defends herself and is like well this is just what I, my passion is and, and they never undermine her throughout the movie like no 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 I mean, definitely not and the only moments that you could even construe like that are actually like these like teasing moments but, but that's because the characters have a relationship like it's yeah. it would be very easy for like you know Elson to be like you know oh you know you're just being a silly girl like following through on this. And, you know, he do, it, they don't really play it that way. He, he does kind of make a joke. He's like, oh, you're just doing this because you like that guy. And it was kind of a nice, yeah. sweet moment. But, you know, they just make it like he just, 
you they establish the relationship where he's like, listen, I think this is a ridiculous theory, but you're a scientist, you know, you'll go out and you know you're you know you're an adult. You're, you yeah, do this your is thing. your re- like, and it's even later. It's like when she when they bring in the other guy to identify, he's like, well, this is your research, so. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to leave it to you because yeah. you're the one doing this experiment. And so this, this all, all throughout, I, I just really felt felt like they were really painting enough of these characters to get to know them, um, and that really worked for me. I, yeah. I, I thought. Um, yes. So talk- eventually, yeah, eventually that uh, Tom does recognize the one monster, the uh, Rotosaurus, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, uh, technically termed. Uh, and so they go back. They they originally call this French captain who's like, you know, speaks French. And he's like, no, n- I'm not coming. Yeah, up. the French in this movie were very intense. Like any yes. speaking of the French language was very intense, I thought. Uh, but they found another guy who survived and he agrees to come in and identify the monster. And then eventually he does identify the exact same monster, uh, the exact same dinosaur as Tom did. And so now Elson is a little bit more convinced that this is the possibility. Um, which leads to another one of my favorite lines of the movie, one of my favorite moments is, so basically, like, Tom calls up, like, his captain buddy, and he's basically like, listen, I think we have more proof that this monster exists. And again, he's kind of still being dismissive. So he, you know, Elson eventually gets on the line. And, you know, they're basically talking and they get to the point where it's like, well, you know, now these reports and, and this guy kind of identified the monster. And then the 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 the, the scientist, the captain, you know, the uh, Tom's captain is like, listen, again, if we if we report, if we investigated every sea serpent and, right, right. and giant monster and UFO story like like we we'd we'd have no time. And then and then Elsa's like. How do you know UFOs don't exist? Anyways, like you just <laughs> down, which which I get like is is one and it is a callback to a line earlier where like he's talking on the phone about like leprechauns. Right, leprechauns is the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then and then Tom comes is like, how do you know leprechauns don't exist? But it was just really funny of just like out of context of just like, how do you know UFOs don't exist? Anyway, I do think that there's proof of this monster. Right. No, I, I that that was all good stuff. That was funny. Um, um and then go ahead. And then we get uh. But then again, because even like that, like how they kind of calculate where the monster is going to be, because they talk about how the Rotosaurus, like the only real, like good fossils of it have been found in the Hudson River. And then when they're kind of all discussing like, well, if we look at the order of like, it starts in the Arctic and comes down towards like Nova Scotia and comes down towards here, it's making its way down the Hudson, mm-hmm. making its way down the Hudson River. Yeah, again, I, I thought that was all clever, clever stuff. Um, no, and, and, and again, it's just, it just affects, it's so monster 50s movie but it's like the best version of all that stuff it's like it just works very well let's talk about the monster the beast yes uh, i call it the beast it's the 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 rotosaurus the retosaurus what it's called um yeah. i you know what it's one of these things where you know you hear so much it's just such like it's almost like a cliche to talk about like how ray harryhausen is one of the kings of you know uh this stop motion um, animatronic creature stuff, and um, and and he always does good work. This to me is like masterclass stuff, like with I, the with the beast. I stop motion in any era of any type is always something I will highly respect. Oh yeah, oh of course, absolutely. I, I mean, again, this is like more modern take, but I I was kind of I put on a little bit of a Nightmare Before Christmas uh last night and just 
like especially because I got you know a bigger TV now and just appreciating just the level of detail in that movie. But even like going back to like you know especially it's a big part of King Kong and especially in this movie, it's just so impressive. And I, I just know that so much work went into that to to making that monster move and feel real and feel as part of these sets. And, and it's just like it's just so good. And it's like yeah, you you talk about Harry House and it's like I think we like most associate him with like kind of those later kind of later 50s early 60s stuff like Jason and the Argonauts and all this sort of stuff which which people kind of really go into him but i mean like he he was like you know and I, I, he's talked about a lot if you look at the like interviews like how he was a protege of Willis O'Brien who did all the stuff for King Kong and mm-hmm. just taking all the stuff learning about from his time working with the King Kong stuff and into this it's just it matches up like with with that legacy so well and and it's just so like there's i mean there's a scene where we see the monster attacking the boat in the water mm-hmm. and like, yeah, you kind of get like, you have to add like the, the little splashes. Oh yeah. You can see, I mean, listen, it, but, it but, but, is but, I mean, of the time. So like yeah. you can, you, you get the, can piece splashes, it. But yeah. Just the movement of making that monster in that boat move as if they were mm-hmm. in water. Yeah. It, it, and, and Harry Housen just nails it. He nails it. Like he absolutely nails it. And especially giving like, you know, it, it is more of a distinctive dinosaur prehistoric creature. It's not, you know, it's four, it's a, it's a quadruped. It's, it's more like a, more of a, like a, a, yeah, dinosaur than like even Godzilla is, but even to that and like really exhibiting the animal personality of the, the monster, the beast it's just there's so many just little moments in that stop motion animation that just works so well. And it's just it's a testament to just the legend that is Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, I mean, I knew that it was going to be, you know, you know, uh, in, in terms of craft well done. But I was pretty astonished by the work at play here. I mean, just the way in way. I mean, there's a couple different just how the creature is being blended into any of the surroundings like you know, even for movies of, you know, this time, like, you know, I always talk about, like, there's always some egregious mat work or something like that. And I didn't find myself saying that much during this movie. And especially with the monster, even at points when I can, you know, it clearly is a mat, uh, the way in which they integrate, like, the, you know, the, the civilians with the creature in the background. And part of the thing is, like, the lighting on the creature, too, to give him that, like, really lived-in feel like, you know, that, like, you know, he is, you know, the creature is sneaking through the building, so shadows are being cast on him. The texture of the creature is incredible. And, and um, I mean, the lighthouse scene is, like, oh, absolutely incredible. That's, that's the one, like, because the lighthouse sequence, he destroys the lighthouse, and that's what basically convinces everybody that's, like, like you know the lighthouse is destroyed because the the captain goes to the coast guard and the coast guard is like oh like this is ridiculous but i'll do you a favor and look into this and then they find that the lighthouse it was like no hurricane no no uh no earthquake or anything but the but the mysteriously just you know got got destroyed mm-hmm. but that lighthouse sequence like the whole that is that is a whole again just in itself itself it's just there's like little moments where they shoot the monster through the lighthouse glass mm-hmm. so you kind of see it through kind of like this this windowed like kind of like thing even just the effects of just you see the monster attacking outside and then you see the two lighthouse keepers on the inside like and the the walls getting destroyed around them it's just the editing 
alongside what we see of the monster and Ray Howerhouse's work just fit to make that sequence so you know real for for what it is and it it just again it's just super impressive and the cinematography too because they mostly yes. keep the the monster in the shadows and in the dark and that's kind of what uh, emphasizes the lighthouse nature of the scene i mean that lighthouse scene is one of the biggest inspirations for the movie because originally this movie's uh loosely based off a of ray bradbury a short story um, yes. That I, I and I was a little fuzzy on the details of this. Either they were making a monster movie, and then um, and then Harryhausen like uh, really liked this short story, and uh, the studio basically you know paid to adapt it. And yeah, uh, I, I was reading up a little yeah. about it. It basically was like they already had the movie like kind of written. They had this. They found that the scene they had a scene similar to the lighthouse scene mm-hmm. from yeah. Ray Bradbury's book or, or story. And then essentially they were like, well, Ray Bradbury is a huge name, so like let's just attach ourselves to the Bradbury brand name, and that'll that'll give us a few more people in in the uh, right. Mm-hmm. In the, which is why also the movie is called Beast of Twenty Thousand Fathoms, even though the monster doesn't come from Twenty Thousand Fathoms originally. Right, right. Uh, because originally in the book it was like a deep sea monster instead of a prehistoric monster. So, so all of that work with the monster. I mean, I'm not sure what else I can say about it. Like as he's going throughout the streets, and then when he gets to like the carnival. Um, one of my other favorite bits was that one cop who really thought he had it handled, like the yeah. one that's eaten. Oh, oh yeah, the guy who. Yeah. Just, I love that in any type of these movies because it's literally like everybody's running away, and then the one cop. There's just one cop that's like, like I'm just gonna shoot this thing, like you know. Yeah, but he was like coming out. He had the gut out. He was like giving him like the eye. Like I was like, dude, right. what do you think you're going to do? <laughs> like he just he just shoots it a couple times, and then and we get the classic like monster like coming down and like mm-hmm. eats him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, that way. Uh, there were a couple other things I did want to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, one of the things before we get to the city scene and and the subsequent car, uh, the amusement park scene, one little detail that I really liked is when because Allison, you know, we, we mentioned he dies. He basically his agreement is like he wants to go. He goes in this diving bell to the bottom of the ocean to basically see if they can see it because again they think that it's going to be in the Hudson River by this point. And one of the things I really liked is this little detail where Elson sees the monster for the first time, sees the beast. And he says, it's exactly how we've described it, except it has one dorsal instead of two. And I thought that really sold the fact that these are scientists that are still kind of figuring this shit out because, you know, it's like, it's just like the sketches except for this one different detail. And it's like, well, of course, like they wouldn't know everything about the monster. Right. Right. They wouldn't know Mm -hmm. everything about it, which kind of just adds to that. Just the little details that make the characters in the world feel real that it's like, even if he's still in the scene, it's like, he's still kind of thinking about it. It's like, Oh, like we've learned a new thing today. It's not just that the monster exists, but it's different than how we thought it was. It it reminds me of one of my favorite little bits in the 2014 Godzilla where he's like, um, where they, kind of deduce that the size difference between the mutos is you know male female and yeah it's kind of one of those nice little moments when you're like oh they're scientists and that's you know it's kind of like how they just can naturally deduce things like that but once we get to the city scene like that is definitely like the most connection i feel like to that like when you when people say like the 98 godzilla is you know there's a connection to this movie it's definitely that because you can definitely feel like what we see in the 98 Godzilla is definitely like a modern version of what this kind of city destruction coming is. out of the bay into the, and then just causing destruction. And then it's at Stopping night on cars and, and, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, no, you're and absolutely right. Yeah. Um, 
But this was again just and like even like the moments where it's like yeah because it's like you kind of have this the general like oh they're like people are running away and it's like almost like what you would think of like you know later like if you took stock footage of people running away in a black and white movie like this would be it. But then there's even like moments where like you see people like escaping down like a subway tunnel or like like stairways to like the subway. And then they still do like, you know, you see the monster in the background and then they still have like the upper part of the tunnel, like kind of collapse. And it really just, again, the, the impressive effects work I thought was really, really nice here. Um, but I thought that this whole third act, I thought there were a lot of really clever ideas. Like I loved this idea that the monster's blood mm-hmm, yeah. uh, is basically like full of old viruses. And literally like the, the doctor is like, take like, because basically what happens is they later in, like, they're kind of, you know, now it's kind of been, like, the military's coming in and the scientists coming in. And this is where basically, like, everybody's just kind of playing their roles. Like, we got to kill the monster. And so at one point, like, they're, they come in at night and the, and the beast is kind of just hiding in the streets of New York. Everybody's been evacuated. And they're like, okay, like, we're going to take these really big, you know, like, guns and, and, and just ammunition we're gonna just shoot it we're gonna see what happens so they basically like shoot it and it gets like you know while it also setting up this electric fence like the monster gets hit by the electric fence they start shooting it and they do kind of wound it they do kind of get the uh you know blood seeping seeping out of it there's this large wound on it and it retreats and as the military comes in the the more that they they follow his droplets of blood but the more they follow it the more everybody kind of gets sick and then you cut to this doctor who we kind of saw earlier, and he's basically like, this, 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 this creature's blood is riddled with diseases. Like, if you kill it, like, and it blood goes everywhere, it, that could kill more people than the monster itself. And I thought that was a really clever way of just being like, well, it's just not like, you know, because you know, made, like, like every other monster we've ever really seen is like, it's invincible. It will not do anything with no. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I've never. It. I thought that was clever, and I never actually. I mean, the uh, the most similar thing is like the aliens' acid blood, but in terms of a yeah. kaiju movie, I I haven't really um uh really thought but about just, that. Shin really actually clever- played with that idea a little bit, but the implications of it got cut from the final film is that like the pieces were gonna maybe mutate into something, but. Um, that's as close as I can think at the moment. Right. And I, but I just think that it was like a really clever way of like doing the whole, well, we can't just blow up the monster without doing the like, well, it's purely invincible, especially because they've set it up as like, it's, it's just, it's just an ancient creature. It's not like Godzilla where it is like a function of nuclear mm-hmm. tests or anything like that. Right. Right. Or, or like Ghidorah where it's like a monster from space. So now they have this, this whole thing where they got to kill this monster before it destroys Pity. But they also can't just blow it up because then the blood will get everywhere and everybody will get sick and we'll have to quarantine everywhere. Um, so now they have to come up with another idea. And the idea that they get is basically to irradiate it from the inside, mm-hmm. which actually is very similar to the Destroya idea many years later, where it's like basically like kind of cause it to like melt down from the inside, essentially. Um and then, so they get this thing where it's like, well, we get this, like, you know, isotope. We put it in the wound. It'll basically, like, burn up his blood, and it'll just die. And the last set piece of the movie is at this amusement park. And I thought this was awesome. Yeah. Like, I, I thought all the choices made for this third act were wonderfully delightful. This roller coaster sequence was so cool. 
Oh, um, just the the image of them being in like kind of like those hazmat suits and just taking the roller coaster up. Just the image of that is right because it's so wonderful. There was on the one point where it was like, well, it can't be like I was kind of like secretly hoping in the back of my head where it's like, well, it can't be like, oh, like the monster attacks while people are on the roller coaster because everybody's been evacuated, even though that's like, you know, awesome, like Final Destination 3 type of shit. Like I would have loved if it's the monster coming in and biting the track right as the, the people are like, ah, but the what they do is instead. So they have like this this isotope and they have this like sniper and, and Tom and they're like, well, we, we only have one shot at this. This is the only, like, isotope of its kind, like, this side of the Mississippi or whatever it was. So it's like, if we don't get this, then we're through here. So they're like, oh, well, if we take the roller coaster, if we take the track up to the top, we're going to have a better shot than here on the ground. So the two guys get in their hazmat suits, and they get on the roller coaster, which is like the classic, like, kind of Coney Island, just wooden roller coaster. And this monster is just destroying it. And just the shots of them, like, in the hazmat shoots, they're coming up the roller coaster, which they definitely filmed on a real roller coaster, I thought was great. And then they stop at the top. It was really just unique. And then and then even just in terms of how it goes wrong. So what happens is they do succeed in shooting this isotope into the wound. But at the same time, the the roller coaster track, basically, the roller coaster car gets kind of shaken and it goes down the side. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like goes down the drop as it normally would, except the monster had already destroyed much of the track. So the way that it kind of goes is that it essentially kind of, you know, goes through the track. It kind of flies off the track, hits something, you know, other another thing explodes and the track now is on fire. So now they got to get out before like the, the roller coaster burns down to a crisp. And I just thought all of this was like great escalation of the sequence and really using the set piece and the uniqueness of the roller coaster to to really effectively do something unique and cool which is really crazy since this is like the first kind of movie of its kind in in a sense like or at least the first movie in a while since like the original king kong was doing this sort of stuff or son of kong really the the sequel um it just was really cool to see a movie this early being this creative with uh its monster battle and, and, and its concept in general i agree don't have anything more to add about that. I mean, and then the I, monster I think that's dies. All, yeah. The monster, the, the monster gets irradiated and it dies and it's that's the end of the movie. Yeah, and I and, and it was just, and it, it was cool looking. Like, you know, it dies and the fire is in the background and um and, and uh, again it, it, and yeah. Harryhausen gives that just the amount of gravitas and again we, we, we don't have the personality, so it's not like we're a tragic death type of thing, but it is an animal. It's a wounded animal that's slowly dying, and 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 Harryhausen gives that the gravitas that it, that, that that it deserves. It's just the they just pulled it off like the effect of the creature so well. I, I don't yeah. really know how else to say it. I mean, like you you really it, they really do uh, it really does come forth that you kind of you you absolutely do forget that you're watching a stop motion thing like you yeah. you you do kind of feel like you're watching like this giant uh creature and save for a few shots it's so seamless it, it, it's super super impressive work um definitely one of the things i was actually thinking about and that was interesting i knew going into this movie that made me think is that i've been thinking a lot recently of like what you would do what the next step would be for like godzilla movies now um especially in the states um, like, I, I feel like, you know, would there be room just to, like, do the movie where Godzilla is just, like, the the villain, technically? Like, where it's just, you just bring him back to, like, being, like, 
you know, something like this. Because I, I feel like now, like, you know, uh, you know, maybe they will continue it, but I wonder if kind of if you were to ask me what I think that they could probably do that's interesting next time is like, you know, maybe not do the whole he's like, you know, really like the hero or the superhero of the movie. And then maybe he is just going back and giving something like this or 98 Godzilla try where he is really just like the creature that needs to be stopped. And this movie kind of like made me more interested in that even more, I thought. I think you have to be creative with it. I think like if you were to go that route, I think you just have to find ways to make it unique. Because mm-hmm. I think, again, the, the the realm that you kind of, you have to find ways to make, especially in a modern context, you have to find makes ways to make the characters interesting and you have to find ways to make their fight against Godzilla interesting, you know? I think that, yeah, and I, I think I don't not that that's not that it's impossible, but I think there's a lot more pressure because I think that's a movie where I could find easily find people thinking it's kind of boring because yeah. you know it's just like them fighting a giant monster. Um, yeah, I, I think for me it's just it, it, it is. Um, I don't know. Just wa- watching this just made me think because I, I have to be honest when watching this, just seeing the creature um, destroy. <laughs> like you know buildings and stuff was fun i mean it kind of it, it was kind of fun to go back and see that like yeah. one of the other yeah. things about doing it modern now is because the effects are so elaborate that like and like so like you know visceral even if done digitally like you know sometimes it's kind of hard to like really root for seeing like just buildings collapse all the time and probably the yeah. charm of it is like you know it doesn't feel as uh, like viscerally violent in in a movie like this one. But, but I think again, yeah. there is kind of a charm where you kind of go back and you kind of see like you know the building falling apart like as puzzle pieces, like mm-hmm. very clearly like things that were connected just to be destroyed. And now it's just the the destruction of anything in in a giant monster movie or we've even seen like superhero movies just is so realistic in that regard of mm-hmm. just how buildings and stuff fall that there is a different feeling to it, you know. Yeah. Um. Like so, I think we've talked about Lindsay Ellis's video about like War of the Worlds versus Independence Day and just how the destruction in those two movies like yeah. feel so different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that still kind of permeates now is just how different you know destruction in movies can feel. Yeah. Or even when you go in terms of like how it feels, you know, in Man of Steel versus, you know, mm-hmm. other other superhero movies of its kind where the, the Man of Steel destruction is so visceral and sort of like almost depressing in so many ways. You're Whereas also like meant to take it with the the weight that the movie is like you're supposed yeah. like you know it, it's not shying yes. away from that where if it's right. like yeah which I think like it would be important for a Godzilla film to to do or, or a giant monster movie like I wouldn't the thing too is like I I know it's not really like you know as feasible of this doing a new original kind of monster movie like this but I almost feel like that's kind of like not i kind of almost would want to see this but as like the young frankenstein version of this where it's like a kind of like you can kind of do something a little more like at comedic but it's also so loving mm-hmm. of this material because that's what makes young frankenstein so good is that yes it's a it's a crazy brooks and gene wilder comedy but there is such a respect and and in awe of the original Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein material, that it makes it 
so fit into like it is just a universal monster I hear you. movie. I hear you. Yeah. And I definitely. feel like if you did something like that where you kind of did something that is a little bit more silly but still kind of pays so much over to this style of filmmaking, mm-hmm. I think I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh yeah. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't uh, I'm not gonna argue that point. And the last point I wanted to bring up is obviously I was talking about bringing this up uh, to fit into the horror genre as much as much as we could. And now kind of like thinking, you know, about that. I mean, I don't know. Do you have any kind of like further follow up thoughts about like, you know, because for me, this kind of fits more directly into like that. And and it's still funny because I still feel that disconnect. It's hard for me to like, you know, call it a horror movie. But at the same time, it's just all the the trappings and aesthetics of it. I would watch on like Halloween night, or I would put on in like you can see somebody watching this in the background of like a, think, of a horror I movie do, scene. I do think this is honestly a good in between between kind of what we were talking about with like the universal horror films mm-hmm. of like Frankenstein and Wolfman and and Creature of the Black Lagoon, and what we get with the kaiju genre going forward. I think that there's a good middle ground in the sense that, yes, we get the giant destruction of monster action, but there is a general kind of the, the, this terror and like how they, how they present like the death toll Mm. and and the injured toll and and like that news broadcast sort of, there's a really good kind of mix in, in between even like sort of like the anticipation when they're going up that roller coaster, like that, that is kind of more in a classic kind of horror film where it's like, you're kind of, the anticipation, like we're sort of slowly going up, and the, you know, kind of like the the calm before the storm of the big moment. Um, and even, but even like how they do the kill of uh, Elson is basically like we just we don't see him die. Mm-hmm. We just hear that like they they don't have a communication with him anymore. Like because the whole thing is like the most amazing thing about it is, and then he just cuts off, and everybody else on the surface like professor, professor, doctor, where are you? Mm-hmm. Like come on, we're bringing you up, bring you up. Like there's that kind of element where it's like we get the kind of the off-screen kill, um, and there's that element of it's like what happened to him? Like we got to get him back. Like and then we finally get the big monster reveal. So I think it's a good in between between the two. And I think it really fits with kind of the, the the discussion of of kaiju as a horror genre. Well said. And to top it all off, who would Harrison Ford be in this movie? He's the owner of the amusement park. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> sorry, I just thought of like the dumbest jokes. Like he's the guy who like you like you know he sends them up because you know there's that one guy that follows behind them to activate the the ride. Yeah. So he goes in there and then he's like, "You're not tall enough to ride." Oh no, it was dumb. It was stupid. Yeah. You're um, too tall because they have the hazmat suits on. Right. You're too tall to to ride this ride. Or he he says that to. If it was like a really bad joke, he says that to the monster before it like steps on him or something. You're too no yeah. ticket. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Did uh, so? Did you have anything else to uh, say about it? The only I- other thing. The only other thing is this one little moment of just when they they're in like the headquarters and they're discussing like the whole blood situation. And then they report the monster is like back on land, and like the the one military leader is like, "Damn, I thought we had it in the corner pocket." But my favorite part about that scene is that there's this big announcement 
like of like the monster has made its way back on land and like nobody else in the background reacts just our me three three main characters like on the on the on the foreground because mm. using this one guy like there's the one guy who's like doing the report it's like he's like his whole thing is like we think it's still on the bottom of the Hudson River, but we'll do it. We'll do a sweep of it in the morning. And then he walks away. And then right after that, he they make the announcement of like, oh, the monster has been reported on land once again. And the guy in the background just keeps walking away. It's like as if it's like, no, no. Uh, he's like, no, I'm already checked out. Yeah, he's already I'm already out of the scene. So that's the only other thing. Like, well, again, there's those little kind of funny bits mm-hmm. of like 50s kind of filmmaking that I kind of found. But otherwise, no, I thought this was well worthy of a watch uh on the podcast and discussion and i thought it was another great little gem uh, uh of a movie yeah i would say especially if you're interested in this era of uh like monster films i i, I think it's uh definitely a must see for my opinion I, I i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it it's a very inexpensive rental on uh on amazon so i would highly suggest it and it, and it was just nice especially seeing you know this piece of uh the history that we've often talked about i mean one of the other things i never got i didn't get to say before was that uh it it is funny because it has elements of like king kong because it's like the monster comes to shore uh and then like it's attacking the city but then it's also got you know things that would be more mainstays in the godzilla stuff by being like oh it was awakened by nuclear by you know nuclear stuff and it's more of a prehistoric creature so like uh I thought it was interesting to see that it was kind of the middle ground between those two films. Um, and uh, so I, I can't, uh, you know, um, suggest it enough. And uh, I encourage, uh, if you're interested, uh, check this movie out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, as we wrap up, I also want to thank our guest, Patrick, for coming on and talking horror and uh, monsters with us. It was a fantastic um, conversation. Yeah, and um, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was cool. And and I mean, it's been a long time coming. Of friend of the podcast, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Friend of the pa- friend of the Patrick podcast. Pot of the Frederick pa- Patrick cast. Yes. Um. <laughs> so it was it was long time coming, and and we definitely want to get him on before we switch up our subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Well, uh, so that will lead us into the next month uh, because, uh, well, I can actually now we can talk. I can say what we will be doing on the Godzilla side of things next time, because November to celebrate the month that Godzilla versus Kong should have been out in by now. uh, We are going to be finally taking a look at Kong and we are going to go back and look at the original Toho version of Kong and his standalone Toho venture in King Kong Escapes. And I'm looking I'm forward very to that one. Excited, but next time is not the Godzilla episode. Uh it is the Bond episode and this has been a highly anticipated episode of the Bondzilla podcast. Once again, this is the most requested episode uh since we started doing these kind of non, you know, like Bond and and Godzilla tangentially related episodes. Uh, I am extremely excited to to get into Spy Kids next month and talk about the legacy of that film franchise. Yeah, I have a, and I'm excited to talk about my own history with that franchise. That that one's going to be yes. fun. Um, all right. Well, uh, and then once again, for those of you that may not listen to Godzilla Bond episodes or may want a reminder, we do we will have an announcement about the future of the podcast in November. 
Uh, I am making the finalizations on the plans, and I am extremely excited to, to put them out to, to the world. Uh, so, yes, look out in uh, November at some point. We will make an uh, announcement on what lies next for here, Bonzilla Podcast. All right, cool. Is that it? That's it for me. All right. Are well, we done? Yeah, we're, we're done. I'm done. You're done. So plug. Bonzillapod at gmail.com. Facebook.com says Bonzilla007. Twitter.com says Bonzilla007. Like and subscribe. iTunes and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you folks that since uh, we announced our, you know, changing subjects and, and, and kind of ending, you know, looking at the, the Bonzilla stuff specifically, we've gotten a lot of support and a lot of listens. And I, I, it seems like you folks are still interested in, in what we have to say. Uh, so just thank you guys again and just keep sharing. Um, I still think the future of this podcast is bright. And, you know, even when we make our announcements, I think, you know, we'll still be talking about Bond and Godzilla stuff. And so we'll always be here for that. All right. Well, until next time, everybody have a safe and happy Halloween. Boo. <laughs> <laughs>